the top 10 business technology stories of 2023, the six next big things in enterprise technology and digital enterprise operations foundations. That's what we're going to cover here today in episode number 153 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four... And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name's Eric Kimberly, here with Kyler Cheeto. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Glad to have you. I've got a great show for you in store today as we look to 2024 and, and start planning and executing on our initiatives for 2024. We've got some great content here that is meant to help you with that process. Uh, we're going to start off the podcast episode with some hot topics, the next six big things in enterprise technology we'll talk about uh, up front. And we'll also talk about the top 10 business tech stories of 2023 and the implications for what that means for businesses in 2024. And then, of course, we're also going to, we're actually going to start off before we get to those hot topics, we'll start off with our uh, audience questions from social media. So we'll start off the episode there in that opening segment with the questions and answers as well as hot topics. And then we're going to get uh, into the show later. We'll get into the meat of our digital enterprise operations foundations. Or our goal here today is to, bri- to provide you as sort of a toolkit for um, executing on your digital enterprise operations here in 2024. We're going to play you some clips and some uh, content that will help with that process. First of all, we're going to start off with some uh, discussion of what is digital strategy. We'll play you a video clip that gives an overview of digital strategy and the framework you can use for that. We'll talk about what is enterprise asset management, what is business process management, how to build the digital transformation strategy roadmap, and how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. So we'll cover all that stuff here today as a way to provide you sort of a toolkit for executing on your enterprise technology initiatives here in 2024. So before we get to these uh, this great content and this meaty conversation here today, uh, later in the episode, Kyla, what are some of the questions you have from social media? Absolutely. Um, so some great questions um, and go along well with kind of the theme of creating um, foundational strategies for our digital transformations in 2024. So if you are new here, um, these questions are not just for Eric, um, but they're for you too. So go ahead and answer them in the comments and join the conversation. Uh, We pull these every week from our social media channels here at Third Stage Consulting Group and also Eric's social media channels at Eric Kimberling, wherever you subscribe. Um, So you can leave them there and we'll pull them um, for next episodes and ask him live. So This one talks about um, business requirements specifically, and it's from one of your YouTube videos, Eric, and it says, from your years in consulting, is there a particular prioritization or technique that you found effective when working on business process requirements? Yeah, there are. Um, There's actually two two dimensions that we use to prioritize requirements, and both are going to be especially important during the evaluation phase. It's going to help you prioritize here, not you're not using 
thousands of requirements to evaluate and pick the right software. Because the problem with that is it, it becomes overwhelming and you get stuck in analysis paralysis. If you have too many requirements that you're working from during the evaluation and selection phase, when you're trying to choose what technology is best for your business, um, more of those requirements become more important as you get into implementation, because even the lower priority ones need to be addressed. Uh, they may not be absolute must-haves, but you, you try to address as many as you can as you get into the implementation. So I'll start with the selection process. During selection, we typically will evaluate the um, all the business requirements on two dimensions, one being uh, how important it is to your business. And it could be as simple as saying it's high, medium, low, must-have, nice-to-have, um, or somewhere in between, however you want to rank it. But some sort of ranking that that allows you to prioritize based on how important it is to your business, and then the second one's a little bit harder if you don't do this for a living as far as software evaluation, but we'll also prioritize based on how likely it is that the software you choose will have a differentiator or be differentiated based on that requirement. So in other words, you've got some vanilla requirements that might be really important to your business, but most technologies are going to be able to do what it is you need it to do, in which case you might deprioritize those, not because they're not important to you as a business, but because most systems can do that stuff. So that's how you would evaluate during the, the, or that's how you prioritize during the evaluation phase. But then when you get into implementation, you drop, you typically are going to drop that first criteria that says, um, or I'm sorry, you're going to drop that second criteria that's, that specifies whether or not this, the requirement is something that's differentiated by different software vendors, because now you've chosen the software, you're going to implement the software. Now you prioritize based on how important it is to your business. So it becomes a little bit more one dimensional in terms of how you prioritize at that point. Absolutely. And it sounds like it's pretty unique a process to each business, but also good to follow a, a framework that has been established in a methodology. Yeah, absolutely. And I know this question specifically is so important, but it can be hard to visualize. So I'm going to drop a resource here just on the screen, which is our um, digital strategy framework that actually has those work streams that Eric's talking about. Um, it's also available in the description wherever you're getting um, this podcast or video. So definitely check that out. It's a free download um, and a great uh, resource. So some of these next questions are from a great video that Eric just put out about um, Hershey's and the Hershey's failure when it came to their SAP implementation. And he did a great series on TikTok kind of around these as well as a, a bigger video on YouTube um, that looks at it. So I really recommend this, but I wanted to ask you a few questions that a lot of the community had around that. So one specifically is around SAP and customizations, but I think it's a great question just in general as well. And it says so many of the issues come with everybody wanting to feel special and customize the software. That is what causes the failures because the software is supposed to do something it's not meant to do. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, I, th I think that's a good, it's a good point and something that's worth noting because that is a common problem with customization of any ERP system, not just SAP is that you, you're trying to get the software to do stuff that it oftentimes wasn't built to do. And in some cases, you're actually more likely to break the software because you're, you're trying to force fit in new code that hasn't been tested or battle tested with other organizations. So you're sort of creating functionality from scratch, which defeats the whole purpose of buying commercial off-the-shelf software. So I think you have to balance the back to your prioritization question, their previous prioritization question, you want to ask yourself, how important is this business requirement really? If it's an absolute must have, and it's something that's so critical to your business and your secret sauce and competitive advantage, all that stuff, then maybe it's okay. Maybe you're willing to take on that risk. But if it's not, then you're, you're 
probably going to be better off not not customizing the software. Absolutely. So kind of an it depends question, but having that ability to talk to someone like Third Stage or someone that's, you know, specialized in that to understand kind of the pros and cons, because it can be a kind of a balancing act, obviously, and you want to make sure you have the the maximum return on investment and in something that's so critical to the business. Yeah, um, absolutely. Something else along those lines that's a, a really interesting question um, talks about this specific user is going from SAP from JD Edwards, excuse me, to SAP implementation, and they said kind of it's not going well, and the issue is de a department specifically that has a resistance to change. So how can you convince executives that change management is not just a holistic strategy, but needs to actually look department by department in order to be successful. Yeah, I mean I think it it is something that's it's a tricky balancing act. You have to look at both, you know, department by department but also the integration and the end-to-end -end business processes and workflows. So it, it's it's sort of like the, the struggling with going broad and wide versus going narrow and deep. You've got to figure out the right balance of how to do both because there's going to be some parts of your business where it makes sense to go narrow and deep because it's so it's so unique to you or it's it's a complex process that you're trying to untangle or whatever in which case you might go a little deeper and really hone in on that one area but you don't want to do that at the expense of looking at the end-to-end -end processes and make sure you understand how they tie together especially if you're implementing um a single enterprise-wide technology like an erp system that you're even more inclined to need to look at end-to-end -end business processes otherwise you're just automating the silos and the data breakdowns that you already have within your technology. So a little bit of both. Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah. You've got to find that recipe that makes the most sense for different parts of your organization. You're going to have different answers for different parts of your organization based on what, you know, the priorities are. Yeah. And kind of reading between the lines of this question, it sounds like this executive team, which is very common, says, okay, we have one core change management practice. We're done. We checked that box. We're not going to fail. Um, and really understanding that it's a very strategic approach that's unique to each business, not something that's just a cookie cutter from a vendor or system integrator. Um, so that's kind of interesting that, you know, you're seeing that on on that level too, which is a, a red flag we see all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. Well, I'd, I'm definitely excited to review the comments um, in the audience as well, since we do have so many SAP specialists or so many um, specialists when it comes to operations about what that looks like. So definitely drop what your answers are in the comments. Um, and I'm excited to unpack these hot topics with you, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. It should be, should be fun to unpack these in, in a bit more detail, very timely and relevant given where we are in the new year. Um, we're going to talk about the six next big things in enterprise tech, as well as the top 10 business tech stories of 2023 and the implications it has on businesses in 2024. And then uh, later in the show, after we get through these hot topics, we're going to really unpack our digital enterprise operations foundational toolkit. Um, basically, everything you need to know and, and giving you some foundational stuff to start with as you define your uh, digital enterprise strategy and roadmap for 2024. We're going to talk about what is digital strategy, what is enterprise asset management, what's process improvement, how to build a digital strategy roadmap, as well as how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. So our goal here today in today's episode is to be we're always educational, but even more so uh, here today in terms of giving you a, a specific methodology and framework that we'll get to uh, here after our hot topic. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get to those hot topics and the rest of the episode. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are 
aiming for transformation success, turn a third stage consulting group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, or to make it even even easier, just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see and listen to the past episodes and upcoming episodes on whatever platform you prefer. Again, you go to transformationgroundcontrol.com. And of course, this is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the strategy, people, process, and change aspects of transformation. So you've got some hot topics that'll help us out here in our 2024 new year. Kyler, what have you got in store for us? Yeah, well, let's talk about some learnings we had in 2023. So I pulled a study that talked about the top 10 business technology stories of 2023 and how they had really significant impacts for businesses. So the list is 10, but I kind of want to pull out a few just to ask you about them. Um, we talk a lot about kind of the overall hindrance around AI and the need for kind of cautious optimism of what that creates around efficiencies. There's a lot of new startups in the marketplace when it comes to overall investment in technology. One thing that we've seen is a huge spike in funding for AI innovations. And I'm I'm wondering in your 2024 predictions, do you think these startups will kind of all be gobbled up by the industry titans in the space? Or do you think that there will be kind of more of an AI niche, almost like we've seen for things like Snowflake or Palantir when it comes to interoperability? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know that I have a good answer. I would say it's, I mean, in, in the short term, it's going to be both. I mean, you're going to have both the upstarts and the startups that have PE funding or venture capital funding, they're going to create waves and they already are creating waves, but then you have the big software vendors that are also investing in AI. So I think it's, I think it's too early to tell, to be honest, where, who's going to win or lose the AI battle. I, I could pretty much assure you that most of these, you know, a lot of these AI vendors or AI solutions are not going to be around long-term just because the competition is going to get so steep. And just like any emerging industry, you're going to have a bunch of startups, a bunch of them are going to fail. A bunch of them are going to succeed. A bunch of them are going to get acquired by big incumbents. Um, so I honestly, I have no idea. I could see, you know, I could see a whole plethora of possible scenarios unfolding there. I think we have to wait and see unless uh, anyone listening has a strong opinion on where they think it's headed. Any crystal balls in the comments there? Definitely um, drop your prediction. Um, what a time to be alive. Definitely something to, to look at um, as we move into more industry technology and something to be aware of when you're looking for implementing new technologies into your business. Just make sure that you're vetting those or that you have a partner like we do a lot at Third Stage is just come in and make sure that you have a thorough evaluation of matching the needs for the business. So 
definitely something to consider. The other thing I wanted to ask, um, which were kind of four and five on this list, is the cybersecurity concerns specifically for the small to mid-tier businesses in conjunction with number five on the list, which is the end of passcodes. And I can hear the cheering through the screen right here is really looking at how we're not utilizing pass keys or more secure authentication methods that could eliminate the need for traditional passcodes, which can be a big thing for cybersecurity breaks. And we've seen that on a macro level. And if you haven't heard some of our episodes on those cybersecurity breaks, like in Vegas, casinos, definitely check them out because they're they're fascinating. But now we're really looking at cyber attacks targeting that small to mid-tier business. So how do you ensure that you have a sophisticated cybersecurity plan within your digital strategy? Well, I think that's not to oversimplify it, but you just have to carve out part of the focus of your digital strategy on cybersecurity. It's, it's uh you know, a, a separate work stream or a separate activity, series of activities that you need to address and assess and um, define potential solutions for as you go forward. So I think just calling attention to it and making sure that you treat it just like you treat data and applications and integration and architecture, cybersecurity should be one of those front and center things that you focus on as part of your digital strategy. Absolutely. Definitely something, again, to be aware of. It's not something to be incredibly scared of, but it's something to be definitely cognizant and vigilant around making sure that you have a full-fledged, really healthy strategy. Um, and the last two on this list that I kind of want to ask you about, Eric, talk about advancements in robotics or drones. And we talk a lot about on this podcast how manufacturing technology has really been at the forefront of development over the last couple of years and implementing that. So we've seen this specifically reference IKEA and the implementation in these drones warehouses that showcase the need for them in a commercial setting specifically for tasks like industry con or inventory control, excuse me. Um, and then we also have the advancements in robotics for hands and gripping and trans transportation industry, all of those different things. So do you think that we'll continue to see this dynamics in manufacturing technology? And another kind of question to that is how do you ensure that your business processes are ready for this new emerging technology? Yeah, well, I think the good news is that a lot of organizations have embraced robotics in in their warehouses and and uh that sort of thing i know amazon for example has sort of pioneered the use of robots and at scale within big distribution centers throughout the world and it sounds like you know drones are sort of like a next iteration of that that movement that was already underway but to your point you know whether you're talking about drones or robotics or any other technology for that matter the the importance of process definition and improvement can't be overstated. I mean, that's a really important thing to focus on is making sure that you've defined what it is you want your processes to look like, understand what they look like today and how you want to change them, and then define that future state, knowing that you've got some technology options that can help you get there. Absolutely. And understanding those options um, by utilizing partnerships and and things like that are are really critical. So um, let's move on to the the next six, just six big things in enterprise technology. And these talk about kind of new technologies that are on the forefront. And I'll just run through the list quickly. And then I just have a few questions for you. So we have um, extreme networks, which look at things like machine learning, integrated networks, interoperability, which we talk about a lot. 
we have um, gum gum band it's called which actually uses physical spaces like museums visitor engagement we've seen a lot of that in theme parks we talk about in a previous episode the digital transformation of Elish gardens um, so there's lots of of kind of on-site we have clarity with a k that leverages things like chat gpt and other large language models to extract business documents providing that chat-based interface and they usually use plain language instructions, which makes them very user-friendly, low code, those types of things. Um, and the one that I really wanna ask you about that I'm so interested in your, your, um, your feedback on is actually federated wireless. So these are actually private wireless as a service, um, and they use kind of shared spectrums by organizations to set up that 4G, 5G networks. Um, and these, these include clients like the Department of Defense or Carnegie Mellon University or different areas in which they really want that secure network. So do you think we've kind of seen the rise of private cloud and now we've seen the rise of private networks? Do you think this will continue to be a, a trend in enterprise technology is the need for that privatization to ensure security? Yeah, I think it's a way to ensure security and reliability too, especially for organizations that have distribution centers or warehouses or manufacturing shop floors that are out in rural areas that don't have um, high-speed internet access. And if you're trying to do high, you know, high volumes of stuff, transactions and data processing uh, with internet of things and all the other stuff that goes along with industry 4.0 and manufacturing and distribution um, organizations, that's a great way to increase capacity and increase reliability. Cause you know, if you think about it, especially with cloud solutions now, that accessibility and reliability of the internet is so important. And you still have a lot of the world. I'd say a majority of the world is geographically in a place that isn't supported by high speed Wi-Fi, that sort of thing. So having a, your own 4G, 5G network uh, to help process that, I think is something that's very smart. And I think that's just going to increase cloud adoption and increase the, digitization of organizations throughout the world. Absolutely. Those emerging markets, these will, will really be pivotal to doing that. And there seems to be two big themes around this, which is kind of the evolution of the cloud. What will it look like as far as ownership, usability, adoption, and then also the rise of generative AI, whether that's in actual business or it's when it's in customer service through chatbots and having that efficiencies. Um, so curious to turn to the audience of, of which one of those do you think is really going to battle it out? Will it be the evolution of the cloud or generative AI? So just pop those in the comments, doing a little poll here to see kind of what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear uh, people's response to that and thoughts on what, you know, what are your thoughts on the next big things in enterprise technology beyond what we talked about here today? I'd be curious to hear from the audience as well. Um, well, good stuff. Well, speaking of big things in enterprise tech, we want to shift gears after we take a break here and get into our toolkit, our 2024 toolkit for digital enterprise operations. We'll provide some of the foundational uh, content and frameworks and understanding that will help you define your digital enterprise strategy and roadmap for 2024 and beyond. So we're going to get into things like what is digital strategy, what's enterprise asset management, what is business process management, and how do you execute on it? how to build a digital transformation strategy roadmap and how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. We're going to cover all that stuff here in the remainder of this episode. So be sure to stick around. We're going to take a quick break first and we'll be right back with more transformation ground. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? 
Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Be sure to check it out there. Uh, again, transformationgroundcontrol.com is where you can find past episodes and see all the new episodes as they're released on all the different platforms that we stream to. So be sure to check it out. So we're excited to shift gears here and move into our digital enterprise operations toolkit for 2024. And we're going to talk through some foundational stuff, some methodology and framework driven type stuff to help you plan and execute on your digital strategy for 2024. So um, before we jump into this though, Kyler, what are some, uh, we've got some complimentary or some supplementary materials that uh, the listeners can download and refer to as we're going through this. What, uh, what are those three pieces of content that they should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. So we selected these in order to give a really strong foundation. They're some of our most popular content when it comes to operations and all of our operations specialists. So in order to really kind of dive into this, um, I highly recommend our 2024 Digital Enterprise Operation Report. Notice we don't call it Digital Transformation Report. We call it Enterprise Operations because processes are so important. So you're able to find that in the description notes um, below on this video, or we pop up the QR code here on the screen. You can download that. It's a free download. And then we also have our phase zero planning checklist, which is really great to just go through the checklist. And we also have a mini series that kind of walks you through each step um, available below as well on our phase zero planning. Um, so definitely I recommend those three assets. Uh, all are available for free download on our website. Uh, and you're able to kind of walk through piece by piece of really what we're going to break down here, Eric. Got it. That makes, makes tons of sense. So good. Well, be sure to access that additional content as we're going through this here today to be good supplementary material as we get into this. We're going to start off uh, the toolkit here by jumping into what is digital strategy, just to really set the context for the other, the other four clips that we're going to, we're going to play for you here. And we'll discuss at the end too. Um, but we'll start off with a video that I put out on my YouTube channel recently called what is digital strategy. And the idea here is to give you sort of a high level starting point framework of what is digital strategy. And then of course, we'll dive into some more of the details here. Uh, as we get into these other clips as well. So let's roll the clip here of what is digital strategy. Defining a clear digital strategy that fits your organization's strategy, goals, and objectives is one of the most important things you can do to ensure a successful transformation. It's also one of the best ways to ensure you have internal alignment and a transformational roadmap and plan that fits your needs. In other words, it's a sort of glue that ties together your overall company strategy, with your transformation project plan. Joining me for today's discussion is Eric Kimberling, the CEO and founder of Third Stage Consulting Group, which is an independent and technology agnostic digital transformation consulting firm. 
Eric and his company have worked with some of the world's leading organizations in their transformation journeys, including helping them define their digital strategy. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Of course. So to get started, what exactly is digital strategy and why is it so important to transformation success? Well, a digital strategy or an effective digital strategy is something that is very important in terms of looking at different alternatives that a company has in going through a digital transformation. So for example, a lot of companies have a plethora of options. They could stick with what they have and upgrade their current systems or make some incremental changes to their current technology. There's the full rip and replace. You know, we can go out and completely replace all of our different systems. Uh, there's best of breed versus single ERP systems. There's a lot of different directions that companies can go with all the different options in the marketplace today. So really defining a clear strategy and roadmap that's aligned with the overall company strategy and objectives is, is very important. And just to back up even more and more explicitly answer your question, the reason it's so important is because so many projects fail when they are misaligned in their digital transformation strategy and plan. So when there's misalignment, that's usually a root cause for failure and why so many projects struggle. So companies that have a clear a clearly defined digital strategy and roadmap and have really considered all of their alternatives and evaluated different alternatives typically are going to be better off because they have a clear alignment on where they're headed. And then from there, they can go start evaluating and picking specific technologies and ultimately implementing those technologies as, as appropriate. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And it sounds like, I mean, it, to most people, it would sound like a no-brainer, but at the same time, in theory, everything sounds really good. <laughs> so I assume that this is something that most organizations intuitively know to do, or is that kind of the case? Or what would you say? I would say it's not intuitive. Um, I mean, as we talk about it, yes, it sounds like common sense in many ways, but it's amazing how many organizations will just jump straight into a technology evaluation, for example. They, they feel like their old systems are outdated. They aren't going to get them to where they need to be. Uh, they're not going to be able to scale for growth, that sort of thing. So they end up just jumping straight into, let's just go find a new system. And they don't really stop to think about, well, what is it we're trying to accomplish? Do we want to, for example, do we want to just incrementally improve our business or do we want to completely transform our business model? And those two answers or those two options lead you down very different paths and you want to make sure you've got the alignment to get there. So the other part, the other problem is you get software vendors who are just trying to sell a product. They're just trying to sell you on why you should implement their technology. So in some ways, they're encourage you, encouraging you to maybe unintentionally jump past this strategy phase and just go straight in and start buying technology and, and then eventually implement it. So yes, it is intuitive. It's, it sounds like common sense, but a lot of organizational behavior kind of runs against or, or counter to that common sense approach. Yeah, totally. And I think we've mentioned that in previous episodes too, like kind of, if you kind of know where you're going, you kind of have a better idea of what you can implement when as well. So I think it just really comes down to your overall vision. And um, I wanted to know, how is digital strategy different than an ERP or software implementation plan? Sure. So, well, first of all, an ERP or any sort of software implementation plan assumes that you've already defined the exact technology you want to deploy. And an implementation plan is focused on the tactical aspects of how you are going to 
design, build, test, and roll out the new technology. Digital strategy, on the other hand, is considering something that's a prerequisite to doing everything we just talked about. So before you even know what technology you're going to be deploying to be able to build out a technology implementation plan, we need to be able to back up and say, well, what it, you know, what is it we're trying to be when we grow up? What is our strategy? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, what are our you know, transformation goals and objectives? What kind of metrics do we expect to achieve with new technology? What are the benefits? Um, what's the high level cost benefit? And really just doing a more thorough evaluation of what it is we're trying to be, what we want to accomplish, what the ROI might be, and really looking at strategic alternatives too, because there's no one size fits all answer. There's a, a lot of different ways you can go about these projects, like I said before. So it's, it's really a prerequisite. The whole digital strategy phase is a prerequisite that then leads into an ERP selection and implementation or some sort of software software implementation from, from that point on. Got it. So it's more like the foundational, like you said, prerequisite. You got it. It's got to happen before anything else, before we take too many leaps. <laughs> um, yeah. So what are some of the major decisions that companies need to make to define their strategies? There's a lot of them. So there's, first of all, again, back to the basics of what are our goals and objectives as an organization. And I don't know that that's so much a decision as just making sure we align the transformation with that strategic goal and objectives. Typically when we go in and work with clients, the executive team has already defined what their general company strategy is. They have a clear vision for the most part of where they're headed as an organization. But what they haven't done is figured out or spelled out how that digital or how that corporate strategy translates into a digital strategy and a more specific transformation strategy. So for example, uh, an example of a decision that might need to be made is let's just say you're an organization that's gone out and acquired a bunch of different companies and you've grown tremendously over the years and now you own all these different companies that are operating independently of one another, they're acting like separate companies. The decision needs to be made, do we want to push to now standardize those businesses um, if so, what parts of the business do we want to standardize? We're probably not going to standardize everything because they are different businesses or they probably have different products or services that differ from one another, but there might be some commonalities that we can start to leverage. So even something as simple as that is what do we mean when we say standardized business processes across locations? Do we mean everything? Do we mean HR? Do we mean we're going to standardize accounting, but leave the sales processes independent? There's a lot of decisions like that, that if we don't have answers to those and many other questions that are more strategic. We're going to leave our digital transformation team out to dry. We're going to, uh, you know, make it very difficult for them to be successful because they're going to be out trying to guess what it is they're trying to accomplish. Whereas we need to set the parameters of the strategic guardrails or foundation for where that project is going to go overall. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's super, super crucial. And I feel like there's a lot of people that do like they want certain things, but then also they don't know exactly what they might change their mind halfway through. And there must be a lot to have to like navigate through as well during, you know, those kind of consultations with people. And yeah. I wanted to also ask you, which of these components are the most important? Like, are there any certain areas that organizations should focus on? Sure. So I guess to start, there's there's a few different components of a, of a digital strategy. So there's, there's uh, different work streams that we typically will help our clients through when defining their, their digital strategy. The first 
is the overall strategic alignment. And that's the piece I was talking about a second ago about translating corporate goals into transformation goals. Beyond that, the, some of the other components that are included in a digital strategy or should be included are your operating model, your business process management. You know, what are your operations going to look like? How are your processes going to change? Regardless of what technology you, you do or don't deploy, what do we want those processes to look like in the future? So that whole business process thread is another. Um, organizational change management is another one. So how do we define a change strategy and plan that's going to enable us to achieve the transformation effectively and efficiently? There's also uh, the technology piece of it, which is what is the current technology landscape that we're operating in and what are the options we have for the future and what, what are our philosophy or goals from a technology and IT perspective. And then finally, uh, another thread in the digital strategy work stream or overall workflow is project management and governance. How do we start to get the right governance in place, start to mobilize resources, get a team together um, to really be able to execute on that strategy once we've defined it. So those are the major, I'd say the most important components within those, you know, it really depends on the type of organization you are, what your priorities are, but generally speaking, I'd say the most important threads within digital strategy are the alignment piece, defining what that strategy is and how it aligns with the overall company strategy. That's crucial and it's uh, amazing how difficult that is for some organizations. Mm -hmm. And then the organizational change and readiness piece, which is really defining a very specific strategy to who we are as an organization and our culture. So I'd say those are the two, probably the most important parts of defining a digital strategy. We're here covering what is digital strategy as part of our digital enterprise operations toolkit for 2024. We've got a lot more to cover. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberly here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And we're here in the midst of our discussion and content related to digital, digital enterprise operations, the 2024 toolkit for uh, the foundational aspect of, of digital enterprise operations. We're here right now talking about what is digital strategy. So let's jump back into the conversation. So Eric, I wanted to talk a little more tactically now. And I wanted to know what are some of the first steps that an organization should go through to define its digital strategy? So the, the first thing is to execute some of the strategic alignment workshops and work that we've talked about so far. So when we're working with a new client, one of the first things we do is a strategic articulation workshop. So we'll go in and define with the team, help us understand what are those strategic goals and objectives that we're trying to accomplish as an organization. And then what we do is we unpack each of those strategic goals and objectives and define them in more granularity from the perspective of how digital transformation can potentially help support those goals and objectives. So again, back to the, the uh, company that went out and bought a bunch of companies that are trying to standardize, 
that's where we start to define where, what are the high level visions of how we might move to say a, a shared service accounting group. Uh, that might be one way we could standardize accounting operations is to move towards a shared service model or we might uh, consolidate or standardize our procurement processes. That's, that could be some low hanging strategic fruit that an organization says that's important to us achieving our goal of reducing our annual spend and increasing our profit margins. So that's something we can take and run with. We can build a digital transformation strategy that tackles these strategic issues, but it's not so high level that it's focused on something super high level like we just wanna increase profitability, which every company wants to do that. We need to define how are we going to do that, how are we going to achieve the goals, the growth goals, um, whatever objectives we're trying to accomplish. The other thing, too, there's also a soft side to it, too, within that strategic alignment. We also want to define how do we want to transform the culture, potentially. If, we're, if we have a certain type of culture today, it may not be the type of culture that's going to get us to the future. So yeah. we might talk about how we're going to start bending that culture to support whatever it is we're, we're trying to accomplish in the future. So the whole strategic articulation and strategic alignment workshop and uh, discussions around that, that's first and foremost, the, the most important piece to start with. Yeah, and that's, that's good that you kind of brought up the whole culture part of it too, because a lot of the times through these processes that can really like drastically change and really have an impact on how everything operates as well. So I think that's really important. And how, how do you then translate the strategy into a more tactical transformation or implementation plan from there? So I always view it as, as the sort of guardrails that are setting the boundaries of the path we're gonna go down. So when you're starting a digital strategy process, it's kind of like you're on a wide open field and you've got a million different directions you could go. You see the sun or the mountains off in a certain direction, you kind of know you're heading that direction, but there's a million different ways you could get there. There's a million different paths you could take. So once we've defined a general path, so for example, the path of standardizing our business processes or moving towards the shared service model or whatever it is that we've defined in the, in the strategy phase, now we can go out and define what types of technologies or process improvements or organizational changes will help, will help us do that. And what is the plan for us to get there? So we really start to take that general direction We've got the guardrails. Now we start to pave the path and define the vision for how we're going to execute on that. And the way we execute needs to cover everything from the process changes, the organizational design changes, the potential technologies that might help uh, enable that, mm -hmm. as well as the, the tactical plan and budget and governance and all that other stuff to, to get there. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And who in an organization should be responsible for driving a company's digital strategy? Should it be the chief information officer or somebody different? That's a great question. There's a difference, I guess, between who should be and who usually leads it. That is <laughs> so oftentimes, <laughs> right. Yeah, usually usually it's the CIO that, that ends up leading the, the digital strategy. And usually it ends up being that there's some sort of burning platform for change that's happened. So mm -hmm. For example, a lot of companies we work with have been on the same systems for 20 years or more, and they reach a point where the system's about to break or the vendor is not going to support that old system anymore, uh, or it's just they've outgrown the system, the company's grown and changed, and the software hasn't. So the 
that's not a bad thing, but what ends up happening is that dynamic creates a tipping point where the CIO says, guess what guys, we need to replace our system. So we're going to go find a new system. And they end up kind of by default leading the, the charge. And the problem is that not that CIOs aren't capable because obviously they, they know technology and they're in their role for a position, but the, or for, for a reason, but the reason or the, the um, thing that they should do is make sure that they have strong executive involvement from others in the business. So you definitely need the CFO and the COO and other executives and leaders in the company to really be driving the change and driving the strategy. So while the CIO typically is the one that waves the red flag and says, hey, we need to do something, at some point, the rest of the C-level uh, executive suite should be the ones really defining that strategy and defining the business objectives and purpose of the project. Problem is that doesn't usually happen. The CIO ends up just kind of running with it because most, most CIOs are uh, type A people that want to get stuff done and they're in executive roles for a reason. So it's, in, it's understandable why they just kind of jumped out a path and start, start executing. Uh, but doing that is dangerous. We need to make sure we've got executive and, and business involvement throughout. Yeah, that's good to know, yeah. And why don't more organizations take the time to define a digital strategy? A lot of times there's a perception that it's gonna take us more time or more money to define a strategy. So that's, that's one dynamic that's often a play is they think, well, if we were gonna spend four or eight or 12 weeks or whatever defining our digital strategy, we could be using that time to just go pick a new system and go, go implement. And in theory, that makes sense. And in theory, that may seem true, but the reality is, is the better aligned we are and the clear strategy we have, the faster all the other stuff is gonna go downstream. And we remove a lot of the headwinds that most projects run into uh, by doing a digital strategy up front. So that's one dynamic is that the, uh, there's a perception that, it, that it's gonna take more time. And then the other uh, part of it is that a lot of organizations have waited so long to make a move or to define a path forward mm -hmm. that they're under the gun. They have to get something done very quickly because uh, you know, the, the system is no longer gonna be supported after a certain period. Uh, we've had clients that'll come to us and they're within a year window, a 12 month window from the time they reach out to us to ask for help until their system is no longer going to be supported. So a lot of times they'll say, well, we've got to get this done in the next 12 months or less because the system is no longer going to be supported. So right away, we're starting off on the, on the wrong foot. We're starting off with very, very limited time. And so it's very easy now just to jump past the digital strategy. Strategy doesn't matter. Let's throw that out the window because we know we need to replace the system. So let's just go replace the system. And that's a pretty dangerous spot to be in. So if you can avoid it and actually get ahead of the curve and define a strategy before you really have to, that's going to serve you very well. Yeah, that's interesting. I never even like thought about that second reasoning, but it makes total sense that, you know, when you are under pressure, because I feel like a lot of people would just keep like leave that to like the last minute as it is, like, and then just stress and just get the first best thing without really thinking about it. So that's a good point. Yeah. And what about organizations that are under a tight transformation timeframe already know that they need to replace their systems? Do they really, like, I guess, as we we're saying, take the time to define their digital strategies like afterwards or how, how do they go about it? Well, there's ways to fast track it for sure. I mean, you, you don't need to spend months and you know, quarters defining a strategy. And at some point you get diminishing returns and you start spinning your wheels and overanalyzing things if you, if you spend too much time on it anyway. 
but there are ways to fast track it. So in cases where clients come in and they're under the gun and they've got to get something in quickly, um, we can fast track that process to where in a matter of days or maybe weeks, you know, we can define a clear strategy that's aligned with what, what their needs are. Um, the other part of it too, is if you uh, are biased or have blind spots or lack of knowledge of the different options and paths available to you, it can be easy to, to get lost in the options and, and not be sure of what your strategy is, but having someone with, from the outside that's, that has that experience, like our team at third stage, for example, we're technology agnostic, we do this all the time, we can go in and usually do this a lot faster than a company trying to do it themselves. So there are a lot of ways like that where we can fast track the process. It doesn't need to take a lot of time and money, but it has a huge impact on the level of success of the project. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. And if our listeners want to learn more, uh, what are some of the resources you might suggest for them? Well, obviously this podcast, uh, subscribing to the podcast and getting the, the weekly episodes delivered is, is one great way to, to start. And if you're listening, it's probably a step you've taken already. But it certainly subscribe so you get updates whenever we add new uh, episodes. But there's also on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com. There's tons of content we put out there, white papers, PDF downloads, videos, that sort of thing. Uh, blogs, we put out three blogs a week, articles on a quarterly basis, uh, white papers, all that sort of stuff. And then lastly, on, the, uh, on our YouTube channel, uh, we have a ton of content. We put out a few videos a week on my personal YouTube channel, which is under Eric Kimberling, if you just go search me on YouTube, or you can search for Third Stage Consulting. We have a separate um, video with all of our other consultants and myself providing best practices there. So those are some of the resources that people have available. Perfect. Be sure to go check those out, guys. Okay, so that is an overview of digital strategy. Hopefully a good starting point as we get into some of these other contextual frameworks here. We'll get to here in just a moment. Uh, we still have yet to get into what is enterprise asset management, which we'll do real quick or, or quickly here after a break. And then we'll get into what is business process management, how to build a digital transformation strategy roadmap, as well as how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. We're going to cover all that stuff um, here yet in this episode. So be sure to stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also go back and view and listen to some of the past episodes as well. So be sure to check that out. All 153 episodes available for your consumption at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So we're going to get into now uh, as we continue our discussion around 
digital enterprise operations, the 2024 toolkit. Now we're going to get into what is enterprise asset management, uh, which can be an important part of a digital strategy for organizations. And with this one, we had uh, Wayne Holtham from Third Stage Consulting's APAC office. He's here to talk about uh, this topic. We have a clip that is on our Third Stage YouTube channel that we thought we'd replay for you here because it's such a good segment. So let's jump into the conversation here with Wayne Holtham talking about what is enterprise asset, asset management. Today, we want to talk about enterprise asset management, which is one of the common technologies used by many industries as part of their digital transformations. And with me today, I have Wayne Holtham, who's the Vice President of Third Stage Asia Pacific based out of Australia. Wayne, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be here. I've, um, it, it's, it's good to be part of the, uh, the Third Stage family. A bit of my background is that I've uh, uh, seen, yeah, been in this space of uh, asset management uh, over a number of years, um, came from a trade background and then went into consulting. And so a big, a big portion of my, uh, my career has been in that uh, delivering uh, enterprise asset management um, projects. And uh, so, uh, so it's interesting that we're actually here today to talk about the differences of VA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, first of all, it's great having you on the team. Our Australia office is one of the more recent offices that, that we've opened uh, internationally. And uh, you and I have worked together for some time, even before uh, you becoming part of Third Stage. So it's good to have you on board. Um, now, talking about enterprise asset management, that's something that some people may have heard of, some people listening may have heard of, um, some may not have. Um, but what is, if you were to simplify for the layperson or someone who's not familiar with the term, what, what exactly is enterprise asset management? Uh, it's it's about uh, having uh, managing your assets so that you can actually plan and schedule and maintain them effectively. But you need to leverage a lot of your other ERP type um, uh, your ERP type uh, functions. So your HCM, your um, your finance, and so it leverages all of that. But it takes the next layer of complexity because you need to plan and schedule, and you need to. Um, uh, have intelligence about your assets and understand what your assets are and what they should perform like. So, so it's a bit more detail uh, that overlays it uh, other than just an ERP. Yeah, yeah. So asset intensive uh, companies or companies are investing heavily in capital assets. I imagine that's a pretty important technology. Um, what are some of those industries though that would benefit the most or that, that most commonly would be drawn to uh, enterprise asset management technology? Uh, mining, oil and gas have always been the traditional um, uh, players of uh, enterprise asset management. Uh, these days, a bit more has come into the fray of, um, you know, companies that end up as an infrastructure as a service. So a utility, electricity utility, a water utility, you know, airports, uh, port, shipping ports, uh, terminals, those sort of things are all now highly asset intensive and they need to be managed and understood on their life cycle of their assets so that they can actually maintain for a particular cost base. And so, um, so those, there's, a, there's even, even governments now, uh, health uh, managing hospitals, uh, managing justice, you know, all of, the, all of the building and infrastructure they might have, universities. Um, it, it's, a, it's amazing how, how many uh, asset intensive uh, industries or organizations we have these days um, over and above what we, what we did in the past. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like there's a lot of uh, cost savings that could happen as a result of being able to manage that stuff well. And I have, I have a question for you along those lines here here in a second. Um, so, what did you, just a, a question along the lines of your your response of, of uh, what industries are using 
enterprise asset management. What did these these sorts of industries, what did they do before enterprise asset management technology existed? Or, or maybe give us a, you know, do you, do you have an idea of what the history is or what, it, what were people doing before to manage their assets and manage some of these things you're talking about? Yeah, it was, it was really in the past, people would rely on uh, their trade network or their trade base of people to come in and they would have manual records of when something was last replaced and they would look at it and go, well, I think it's going to last a bit longer or it's getting noisy, so I will, I will replace it. And so it was based on a reactive type approach. And uh, in today's world, that's a little bit hard because we want a lot of reliability whereas in the past it would break and we'd fix it and we'd just accept that and and it wasn't the the pressure or the cost uh drivers that um that drove high performance whereas today it's it's more of we need maximum uptime you know we're actually if we're an infrastructure uh, service provider we want to maintain a very high service level but we don't want failures and so so it's it's now we need to understand what's the health of an asset um, we need to be able to predict what it might be doing so that we don't have outages when we don't when we don't really don't want them right yeah i could see how that'd be of great value yeah. when, I, yep. when i first just as a, a side to that when i first started um in fleet management i took over uh, managing a fleet of um, line haul trucks here in australia and and uh, we had a card system that was our that was our what we call today a cmms computer management maintenance system and so um it worked great but you know it was one of those things it was limited in the sense that uh, if you didn't fill out all the information you didn't get uh, you, you, you didn't have a good record well, not a lot's changed now when we move into the computer world because if people don't update and maintain those records, we have even a bigger problem. Right. Yeah. Sounds like it's come a long way. It's kind of like the the old punch cards, you know, with yeah. the, the predecessors to ERP systems and mainframes and all that stuff. You had the the old punch cards, be, you know, before my time, but I've heard all about them, and it seems like that similar trajectory or journey that technology evolution's been on in the EAM space as well. Oh, definitely, definitely, yes. It's uh, it, and and I suppose it's it's caused its own level of complexity because the people that are using it are are not necessarily IT savvy, and so they don't see the the relevance of um, keeping records as detailed and information as clear and concise as what it should be. So, um, so that's usually a lot of the challenges that people face as they uh, as they manage, work through, and try and improve what they what they do in the asset space. That's interesting. So. Along those lines, and who who in an organization typically would would own the enterprise asset management function and the and the technology that would go along with that? Who's who's the owner typically in, a, in most companies? Well, it, it's interesting because uh, because it's um, lots of organizations uh, use an enterprise model. Um, the enterprise owner is normally the CFO, and the CFO has probably the least amount of knowledge of how to run an asset. Uh, in some organisations, they'll have the operating officers, chief operating officer will actually be the champion of the asset space. But um, it, it's one of those areas that um, because it derives itself from finance, finance usually drives the, uh, you know, I suppose the way that we run our asset um processes because they're all trying to balance the cost. Whereas in today's world, we want to run them based on a life cycle and understanding of what it costs to actually operate the asset. And so that's more of an operational um, focus. And, and in businesses today, not a lot have actually taken that leap uh, to, to, uh, towards the operational focus. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. 
Now you started to talk a bit about this, but I'll, I'll ask it. Maybe we could dive a little bit more into this, but what makes EAM enterprise asset management technology different from ERP? What's, what's the main difference between broader enterprise technologies versus EAM? Um, I suppose the difference is that uh, when we talk about e ERP, we're talking about transactional type information. When we're talking uh, EAM, we're talking functional. So we're actually saying we need to understand the, the um, details about this asset, what its performance is like, uh, whereas when we're actually capturing financial information, we're just doing a transaction and measuring it. And, and so that's, that's essentially the difference from EAM. Um, the other dynamic that comes in it is the function pieces. We actually have to manage um, timings um, of when we're going to uh, work on that asset or when it's going to be out of service, which also then relies on its um, availability. So, so there's a lot more complexity about how we actually integrate. There's a lot more integration points where it comes to um, us needing to be good at our planning and scheduling. Uh, whereas with finance, it's just we're trying to measure our, uh, our performance. In HR, we're trying to just identify who we actually have and, and how we would pay and that we're paying on time. So there's a lot more static type functions in an ERP, whereas in an EAM, there's a lot more moving parts that you're constantly mm -hmm. updating um, and, and, and constantly are changing. And that's probably the difference. Right. Now, it, it seems like there'd be a lot of uh, potential to integrate the data that you have in your core financials or your core ERP enterprise technology and EAM. Is that true? Or how do you see the technology? Oh, that's, that's very, very true. Because if you look at any, any piece of work that you do on an asset, you want to know how much it costs to be able to do that. Um, and so your financial um, interaction is, is vital in the sense that every time you do say a work order or, or whatever, you'll actually have who's going to pay for that. So it might be that you're doing a capital improvement. It might be that you're actually doing an operational. It might be that you're doing, um, in some cases, it might be uh, self-funded or cross-funded sort of thing. So, so that allows the, the interaction with the finance to be able to, to measure and identify where those costs are actually coming from and, uh, and how they're actually uh, being applied. Mm, makes total sense. We're here with Wayne Holtham from Third Stage Consulting in Australia talking about what is enterprise asset management. We've got a lot more to cover on that topic as well as other topics. So be sure to stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book. And it, it was my attempt to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful in defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. We're here in the midst of our conversation with Wayne Holtham talking about what is enterprise asset management. Let's jump back into the conversation. But what are some of the major business benefits that organizations achieve or can achieve from leveraging this sort of EAM technology? Well, it's uh, the, the benefits are really around their cost. And it's the only area where they can actually save money, I suppose, in what they, uh, what they provide as a service. So if you can effectively manage your asset life cycles, um, you can actually drive a lot more profit to your bottom line. And, um, and that, that's probably the, the, the big area. If you do it poorly, you can end up where the costs blow out. And, you, and that's, that's a real uh, challenge to manage because it becomes an exponential cost blowout. If you know, one thing leads to another, which leads to another, and that those costs are quite, uh, can, can grow quite uh, extensively. Whereas if you actually do it efficiently, you can actually improve um, what you're, because you know, you're providing a service for a particular cost. If you can actually, if you can save because you're more efficient in the asset management space, then your profit area becomes far greater. And so it's a, it's a real upside to it, you know, and, and if you do it well, you can save between 60 and 80% on what it would traditionally cost, say five or five, uh, five or six years ago in managing assets. So, um, so it's come a long way uh, if to, to be able to manage assets effectively, uh, because there's a lot more opportunities to do that. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And earlier in my career, um, I was I did a lot of work in energy and utilities, and I know asset management was a big deal to them, or and still is a big deal to them, as you mentioned. Uh, but one thing I remember from doing a lot of work in that space was that a lot of utilities had this whole mindset of, of wanting to sweat the assets. So, in other words, to get as much out of it as you can before you you have to replace it, and and really being able to recognize, you know, the assets that maybe you can. Uh, milk them for longer, for lack of a better word, and then there's others you might have to do something sooner. Um, but it kind of begs the question of when you look at CapEx versus OpEx, you know, the capital spending versus your operating cost, do you see a difference in the benefits that companies can achieve either in their uh, day-to-day maintenance and, and operating cost versus the, um, the bigger capital spend and outlays? Yeah, and it's interesting you say about sweating the assets. You know, in the past, we would assume a life of an asset, whereas today we have the technology that allows us to look at this, uh, all of the health properties that an asset might be sending back to us, you know, uh, information about how it's performing, like our own health check as such. Um, and so that allows us to be able to sweat the asset, but not risk the failure. And I suppose that's that difference. So we can actually maximise how long we run that asset and then plan for that capital investment to actually do that renewal in a time which suits the business or suits the service that we're doing. So, so the cost, the impact of it being out of service isn't as great. And, um, and so that, that's probably that bit of a difference when it comes to what we would have experienced in the past to what today is available to us. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes, makes total sense. Um, what about the vendors, the software vendors that provide this sort of technology? Who are just a few examples of some of the, the leading uh, EAM technology vendors. Well, all of the big players are in there. SAP, uh, you know, S4 is, uh, is in there as an EAM space, which is um, uh, probably a big player in the market. You've got your Oracle um, uh, and uh, JDE, the, the couple of brands that they actually run in there. You've got IBM, they run Maximo. You've got uh, Microsoft with AX Dynamics. Um, 
there's a couple of uh, probably niche uh, players in there. There's the Hitachi ABB. They run Ellipse, which has probably been under a, a lot of different company banners over the years, but Ellipse is still a, 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 a very prominent um, product in the energy space. Maintenance Connection is a total SaaS option. Uh, Infor runs a cloud suite. So in their manufacturing, they run a lot of asset management in the manufacturing space. They, they have a good suite there. Uh, one upkeep, um, e-maintenance and uh, another smaller one, which is MVP plant. And so, so they're probably, that's probably the top 10 players in that game. Okay. So even though you mentioned before that EAM and ERP are distinctly different, it sounds like you still could, you still have options in terms of either going out and finding a EAM specialist, uh, specialized type of technology, or if you're implementing an ERP system, some of the vendors like SAP and Oracle and Infor and Microsoft, like you mentioned, they they tend to have an EAM module or offering that can kind of bolt onto their ERP. Is that is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And now we've got the opportunity where best of breed is starting to, I suppose, technologies evolve to the point where uh, ERPs are a lot more. Um, uh, have, a, have a greater ability to be able to integrate with other uh, type systems, you know, whether it be HCM systems or whether it be CRM systems or some of the EAM systems are similar in that sense. So you could have an ERP and then put a best of breed um, EAM solution uh, on the front end to be able to manage your assets. And uh, probably companies like Oracle and SAP don't prefer that, but, uh, but definitely that's an option in today's world. Gotcha. Okay. Great. That makes total sense. Um, all right. So how has EAM technology changed in recent times? You sort of, you, you, earlier you were talking about the early, early days of EAM, but just in more recent years, how, how has the technology evolved? How has it improved? What are some of the major advancements that some of these vendors are making? Um, a lot of it is in the information availability. So, you know, if you look at a lot of these systems here, instead of having to search and find information about an asset or how it's performing or whatever, they've now got developed it to the point where that information is there and available to the to the user, to the either the asset manager or whatever. And so they can actually see we've got this uh, starting to show signs of failure. And so we need to start planning early to be able to do this. Whereas in the past, it was that thing of, uh, someone might pick it up, they might not pick it up, and then you would start to plan. And so today, the inside information that technology offers is far superior than what we've had in the past. Mm. Uh, technology has changed quite a bit. There's a lot of options out there in the marketplace, and it, it seems like it could be a bit overwhelming if you're an organization, you're not really sure where to start or you know how to get started on the journey. What What sort of advice would you give to organizations in terms of just identifying the best EAM options for them that, that might best fit their needs. I think they really need to understand what uh, what they're looking for out of their system. So, uh, you know, uh, EAM presents a challenge in the sense that it's data hungry. So, if you've got a um, if you've got systems that are fairly uh, old, you haven't really taken a lot of energy to actually maintain the information about your assets, your systems and processes aren't really solid and robust, then you need to really understand that because any of the new systems you put in will, um, will, will cause a lot of issues because you will not get the benefit out of them because of the amount of data that they require to be able to give the information that, that they're really known for. And so when the evaluation comes, it's not just buying something that is, this looks great, 
from a user interface, it's understanding what sits behind that. And that's, I suppose that's that evaluation piece of how mature are we with our systems and processes. And, um, you know, most times with EAM, a lot of the users are very comfortable with um, looking at uh, adopting new processes. But if it, if it becomes overwhelming, they, they, they will just pull away and, and you end up with a, a gap between the functionality and, you know, what you're actually trying to achieve. Right, right. So having someone like the third stage team that's independent and agnostic can really help navigate some of the differences and the nuances of, of the different technologies relative to your needs. It sounds like that can be a, a, a value to organizations that are trying to pick a solution. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's confusing at the moment in the sense that, you know, a vendor will come in and say, you know, I have, I have the best system and they'll demonstrate it and make it look like it, it really works well. Then right. you have a system integrator, you might ask a trusted system integrator and that system integrator doesn't really share with you that they actually have relationships with say an Oracle, with an SAP, with a whatever. And so it just depends which, which uh, partner comes in and actually shares uh, their vision of what you should be selecting, and so, um, and if you if you walked into um, or talked to a different partner within that same organisation, he might give you a completely different story. So, it, it's about breaking down that bias that that many many have when they actually are associated to a particular vendor or, or many vendors, and so, um, so the independence really does help because the questions that um, an independent might ask are. Uh, answers that a vendor usually shudders in answering because they're the ones that that really unpack what what they're looking for right now what about when it comes time to go implement a new technology let's say you find the right solution for you and you're now you're ready to go go implement and make that change to your to your business what what are some of the challenges and pitfalls you've seen organizations struggle with when they're when they're trying to deploy these sorts of technologies well, EAM is, is a, a bit more of a challenge than ERP in the sense that it touches every area of the business. So, you know, it will change what you're doing in finance. It will change what you're doing in HR. It will change what you're doing in supply chain. And so it's about managing all of those complexities that, that it adds in the sense that um, you've got, um, you know, all of these areas being touched, processes are being changed, information uh requirements are even greater and so um so really you, what you need to be able to do is understand your phase of what you're actually delivering so you need to know as you go from phase to phase you've actually completed all of what you intended to do in the first phase say a discovery phase and then as you as you roll through that life cycle of of the project that you've actually completed and you understand where you're at each time because if every bit you miss in each of the earlier stages becomes a real challenge when you try and uh, go live and deploy it, so. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And I, it's really interesting to hear you talk about how, and I had forgotten this in my past experience with EAM, that it, there really is a really broad uh, impact to an organization. Even if you're just implementing EAM, it doesn't mean that you're not gonna impact other parts of the organization that maybe aren't directly using the solution. So it sounds like in terms of uh, other upstream and downstream processes, it sounds like those people and those processes will be impacted even if they're not direct users of the technology. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly right. And it's, it's one of those things because, uh, and also putting EAM in, it's about looking at the driver. So if I'm managing an asset, I want to look at the life cycle cost of an asset, whereas um, that won't actually align my financials with my financials as such. And so 
there's always that bit of a difference between what finance are looking as an objective and what uh, the assets uh, managers are looking at as an objective. And so there's a bit of tension always when it comes to who should who should drive what the cost of uh, chartered accounts looks like and the cost allocation methodologies and those sort of things that that are the, probably the integration point for um, EAM and ERP. All right. Thank you, Wayne. Great conversation and a good overview of asset management. Hopefully that gives the listeners some guidance on what to expect and how asset management can improve their digital transformation or become part of a digital transformation. Uh, we've got a lot more to cover as it relates to our digital enterprise operations toolkit. We still have yet to get to what is business process management, how to build the digital transformation strategy roadmap, as well as how to conduct business process mapping during transformation. So be sure to stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberlinger with Kyler Cheatham, and we're in the middle of our series here, our discussion, our episode talking about what uh, you need to know for digital enterprise operations in the foundational aspect of our 2024 toolkit. And Kyler, uh, you mentioned this before, but just for those that may have missed it, or just as a reminder, what are these other pieces of supplementary, complementary content that we made available for our listeners to augment this discussion here today? Absolutely. Um, and this is really important for this conversation coming up with Brian Lacaruba and Cameron Carpenter from our delivery teams as they really go into the granular tactics of what is business process management. So this is a great one to pull out that 2024 digital enterprise operations report that's available here on the QR code or in the description um, for free download. Uh, that's a, a great asset to kind of go through step by step, not only what is a selection, what is an implementation, what is business process management, and of course, the people process and technology methodology that we have here at Third Stage. Um, another piece that we mentioned in the beginning is our phase zero checklist. Again, this is a shorter asset to kind of go into how do you prepare? And we know process work is really a critical piece to prepping or involving in a digital transformation. Uh, so that, again, you can um, scan the QR code or you can find it in the description notes on our phase zero planning checklist. And the mini series is also included in there, too, that you can kind of watch bit by bit. So those are the two pieces that I'd highly recommend following along in this, this next um, segment. Great. In this next segment, uh, what is business process management, which is with Brian LaCruba and Cameron Carpenter, as you mentioned, from our, our consulting team here uh, based out of the U.S. And a great overview here. And this is a, a particularly popular video on our YouTube channel. So we'll go ahead and play the clip here of what is business process management in an overview of a process, process improvement. Uh, let's roll the clip here and we'll get back to it. Uh, my name is Cameron Carpenter. I am an associate consultant with Third Stage Consulting Group. And uh, my 
experience spans multiple industries from manufacturing through architecture, engineering, construction. Um, I did uh, uh, non-for-profits, professional services, working on multiple projects in the uh, ERP, digital transformation and change management initiatives. Uh, here, we are here, this is a video, uh, one series of video that Third Stage has been putting out. And I have with me Brian Lacaruba, manager for Third Stage Consulting Group. Uh, Brian, do you wanna introduce yourself? Thanks, Cameron. Uh, happy to be here and thank you for all for uh, who are watching this video today. So just to give a little background on myself, uh, I'm, as Cameron said, a manager at Third Stage. I started my career in the financial operations world and I was always uh, looking for ways to make things better and to improve the processes that we did and make them more efficient. And you know, from there, I, I went into a variety of roles uh, using process improvement techniques um, and did that in a variety of settings and contexts. Sometimes they were pure uh, business process improvement type roles. Other times they were hybrids uh, connecting to areas like project management, business intelligence, and large software implementations. Uh, I have, uh, so I've been doing that for, uh, started uh, down that journey really over a dozen years ago. I am certified as a Six Sigma black belt, uh, which many of you will be familiar with that, uh, as well as a certified process professional. Uh, that's through the BP group, a, a certification that's really one kind of ruthlessly focused on the customer experience and aligning your process around what your customers need and uh, making sure that everything you're doing as an organization is devoted to that. So. Uh, through these, you know, I've gained a really broad-based background in uh, process management and how it ties into what you're doing as an organization. So I'll be talking some today about uh, ways that uh, this can help you. Excellent. Thank you, Brian, for that introduction. And uh, for those watching, Brian is a Visio wizard, can, uh, can uh, process map on the fly. So uh, happy to have this discussion with you today. Uh, so let's just go ahead and jump right in and get started with this, Brian. Um, first and foremost, what is business process management or process improvement? Sure thing, Cameron. And, you know, it's important to people listening are going to have a variety of different uh, degrees of exposure to this. So depending on where you're at in your journey of, of familiarity here, you may have heard a lot of different terms, whether it's Six Sigma or BPM, TQM, process reengineering, continuous improvement. There's a number of different methodologies and frameworks and tools out there. And... Uh, they all have different areas of focus. They all have value. Uh, but for what we're going to get into today, I really want to focus more on the similarities and what they mean for your organization and not worry too much about the distinctions of, of what each of those techniques are. So really the, the guiding principle around this, what's uh, critical is that you know, how your organization gets work, gets work done, that is central to your mission and, and to what you're trying to do. So it's your processes that are what connect your people to your customers and to your organization's goals. So managing your processes, it's about understanding what your processes are, uh, how they're getting done, how well they're getting done. It's about aligning them to your goals, making sure that they're serving your organization the way that they need to. It's about managing the effectiveness of these processes uh, and ensuring that um, the effectiveness and the efficiency, I should say, ensuring that the way your people are getting work done is really serving what you need and that you have a, an eye into how that's happening. And it's about continuously monitoring and improving that. So uh, to, the, to the extent possible, you'll want to be gathering data on your processes and being able to really see the health of your processes, how they're supporting what you're trying to do and being able to uh, focus on and improve the processes that, uh, that need improvement. Excellent, thank you for that answer. Then uh, one of the key words I just heard was continuous uh, process improvement. So 
sounds like it's something that needs to uh, continue. It should never just, we do it one time and then, and we're done. Absolutely, Kim. Yeah, it's, your organization's always changing and processes that served you well at one point in time may not serve you well in the future. And that could be for a variety of reasons. It could be because the business has changed. It could be because you've had uh, turnover in your people. It could be because um, circumstances have changed around it. You know, processes, um, I, I don't want to conflate process and technology at all, but technology is uh, in so much of what we do now, uh, strongly intermingled with your processes and is a key part of it. In some cases, technology is a key driver of them. In some cases, it's an add-ons. Um, so technology as it's changing also has an impact on your processes. So uh, for a variety of reasons, um, things are just gonna be, are going to be different over time and you can't just assume that because you got things set into a good place at one time uh, that you're, you're fixed for the future. That said, you may find that uh, um, the degree of attention you're putting on different processes over time is is different. Some may uh, be able to go go through an improvement effort and a minimal amount of monitoring to be kept successful. Others really need to be more closely watched over time. You know, obviously it'd be great if you can put as, as much attention to all of your processes as you can over time, but just recognizing limitations and resources. Uh, you you be, do need to have a good understanding of what are the processes you have out there, how important are they, which ones you're gonna put your time and attention to and devote your resources to. Excellent. Well, thank you for elaborating on that. And I think uh, this would be a good time to switch gears here and we'll uh, maybe ask uh, who, who should be involved in this business process management or process improvement. Sure thing, Kim. So there are a variety of roles you want to get involved in this. And one of the key areas that I, that I haven't brought up in this that's important here is the idea of cross-functional processes and looking at your processes end to end. So often you may have teams that do some work on their own processes. They may do brown bag sessions and, and map things out and say, you know, this is what we need to improve, but they may not be optimizing for that end-to-end -end experience. So defining your processes in an end-to-end -end fashion is a key part of that. And so doing, it means that if when you want to undertake uh, process efforts, you need to be able to bring in these cross-functional teams who are involved in the end-to-end -end process. So you don't just want to have, say, an operations team without having the sales team that's connected to it. Um, it, you know, you, you need to make sure that you are uh, closely linked, uh, and it's not to say every single session involving every process needs to touch on everyone, but you need to make sure you're really looking at where are the handoffs and processes and how do you, how do you engage the people across them. So uh, the types of roles you're going to have in this, you'll need to have subject matter experts who, who have familiarity in different the key areas, and, and you need to make sure too that these are people who know on the ground what's happening. You may have very knowledgeable managers who have a good understanding of the big picture and what's happening, but it's often true that they're disconnected from the reality of day-to-day -day what's happening in those processes. It's not to say they are by definition, but you need to be careful that you're not just assuming that someone who oversees the process uh, actually knows how it's getting done. So in addition to those subject matter experts, you should have business process owners, people who are responsible for that end-to-end -end process. And a lot of organizations may have, may have done exercises of defining and uh, assigning business process owners, or they may not have. So that's really a key role where you need to make sure that there is a person who is accountable to the health of that process and who's gonna be overseeing it over time. Uh, and, and the other piece you need to bring in, of course, is someone to uh, facilitate sessions. So. Um, there, there are different roles that can do this, and depending on the type of effort you're getting in, you know, you, you may look for people with a vast amount of experience in doing something like this, um, business process analysts, uh, someone with 
you know, whether or not certifications can be a good thing, it's not just certifications that matter and people can learn to do this. But uh, this is a type of area where if you don't have people who have experience in this, you're, you're gonna need some help. You know, that, that's an area where uh, there's organizations like Third Stage that, that we can help in, step in and help with something like this. And there, there are plenty of ways to get some outside help if you don't have that skill set within your organization. We're here with Cameron Carpenter and Brian LaCruba talking about what is business process management. We've got more to cover. They've got more to cover. And we've got other topics beyond this to cover later in the episodes. Be sure to stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management, or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode. You can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and we're here in the midst of a conversation with Cameron Carpenter and Brian LaCruva talking about what is business process management. So let's jump back into the conversation. Thank you for distinguishing the difference between a business process owner or subject matter expert. I know that sometimes there's confusion during sessions that uh, there's sometimes there's a mix up. And so um, I, there, is there anything additional that we need to, to show to distinguish like the business process owner is um, more so responsible for that process. Like they're gonna sign it off. The subject matter expert, it could be a number of people working underneath them um, in different departments, like you said. Are there anything else that we can distinguish the difference between? You know, when, you, when, we have, when you have workshop sessions, are you bringing in the business process owners with all the subject matter experts? What's, what's that kind of look like? It, it's important that you, um need to distinguish, understand your organization, what the roles people are doing and how they're going to contribute to a session like this. So, uh, you know, one of the key things you want to make sure, and I'm, I'll, I'll get around to directly answering this question, Cam, but just for some background on it, you want to make sure that the people you have involved are ones who are able to both understand the process and be able to think towards what the future state needs to be and look to build on to what are you trying to get to um, they need to be able to make some degree of decisions in there, but your subject matter experts uh, are the people who can really help uh, drive things out and, and help you understand where you're at today and some direction on where you're going tomorrow. But it's the business process owners who really need to be accountable for making the decisions and being able to say, yes, this is absolutely what we want to do or not. And they're also responsible for setting uh, direction. You know, that comes from various directions, um, roles within the organization who are going to help with that. So if you have you need to make sure you know what are you trying to get out of this initiative. Are you trying to standardize your processes? Are you trying to bring together different locations onto something common? 
Are you trying to uh, just aim for greater efficiency and uh, have improvement in that way of, you know, meeting certain metrics around whether it's quality or, or time to complete uh, customer satisfaction. Um, obviously, everything's got to be linked towards your customer's goals in the end, but making sure that you are really clear on what the direction is and what you're trying to get to. So ultimately, it's the business process owner who needs to be accountable for that within. So they have a key role for sure in the uh, before any changes are implemented in your processes that they're the ones who need to be uh, comfortable that that's the direction you want to go. Uh, the subject matter experts are the ones who can really help identify a lot of those things on the ground that you need to do. So just to tie it back to where you were coming from in your question, it really depends on what your skill sets are of your subject matter experts and your, your BPO, your business process owner. Are they, are they going to add value sitting through this time and, and working through the mapping with people and, and defining everything, or are they best positioned to do a review after the fact and uh, help set some direction based on those things that are found? And your subject matter experts, if they are they capable without the guidance in the room or with just from the facilitator to be able to, to set some of that direction and pick the future state? Or are you going to end up having a session where your SMEs are coming up with a bunch of ideas, but then you, you bring them over to your, your process owners later and find that these things are based on taking things from where we are today and improving them as opposed to, you know, setting a new way of doing work that you want to get to. So you really need to have a clear understanding of where you're trying to get to and what your skill sets are of your people to be able to get there. Excellent. Thank you. And there was one thing you mentioned, it was initiatives. And I think this would be a good time to maybe link up uh, process improvement to digital transformations. Uh, so what does that look like? Absolutely. So, you know, organizations, um, the, the term digital transformation, some may, may think of as a, as a buzzword and it can be, it can mean a lot of different things. And, you know, it is to a degree, but it's a helpful umbrella in which to think about uh, the, the impact of technology and what it, what it has on our organizations and how you're trying to modernize and use technology to your advantage. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, processes are not, uh, they're not your technology directly, but technology does have a big impact on things. So um, I, I like to think of, I don't think of processes strictly a, it's um, driven by technology. It's your processes that really drive what your technology needs to be and you need to align that, but the capabilities you get out of technology are important. So as you're, as you're looking into an effort where um, whatever kind of project you're doing or initiative you're undertaking that uh, is connected to your business processes, um, those processes and your, your business or organizational goals are what you need to think about is in terms of driving that forward. So if you're in the early stages of saying, for example, we want to get a new ERP system, we want to drive our organization forward and in, increase efficiencies in our supply chain, in our purchasing, in our manufacturing, uh, in our finance, HR, whatever it is you're trying to improve there, you want to make sure that that initiative and the technology you go with is aligned to where you want your processes to be. You don't just want to jump into let's pick a technology and assume we're just going to uh, latch on to whatever that technology has to offer and you know, our business will follow suit. That's a, a recipe for failure if you just assume the technology alone is going to make those changes. You may decide that you want to follow uh, those, I hate to use this term, but it may apply here. There are some scenarios where just uh, using best practice technology uh, processes in, within a technology is the direction you want to go. But uh, that that needs to be a well thought out and considered decision where you're um, still understanding that some parts of your business may not fit into that. You need to understand 
really put the time and effort into what it is you're trying to do and, and how is that going to drive the technology decision and, and making sure that anything you're doing from a technology perspective is aligned around where, where does your business and your organization trying to go? Excellent. I think the big driver there is the business drives technology, not the other way around. And uh, so that was a great message. And I think that kind of rolls into, you know, um, how does a company's future depend on process improvement, whether it's digital transformation initiatives or just generally uh, business process management, which is a continuous uh, process uh, throughout the company's life. Uh, so what, how does this future depend on it? Yes, it's, it's critical. And, you know, this is of course a, an interesting time to be doing this as we're recording this in late March of 2020. And we know the world is undergoing fast changes organizations. They look different, very different in many ways now than they did a month ago as we're dealing with the impacts of COVID-19 and what the, um, the, the stay-at-home measures and social distancing are doing for organizations and uh, their their customers and their businesses. They, um, it's a time of dramatic change. And this is uh, looking at your process as one of the key things you can do around that to deal with this uh, uncertain future. You know, if you're in a place where your business uh, is, is struggling as a result of a sudden downturn that's through no fault of your own, this is one of the things you can do is look at your processes and see how they can be modified to meet the change in circumstances. Are there areas where um, you, you may have people that can be redeployed to doing things a little differently? Do you need to, do you have the ability to roll out some new products or services that are central, uh, close to what you do today, but may require some change in the way you work in order to operate? So the, these are things that are uh, strategic goals, but the execution of that strategy is, is driven by processes. And so it's looking at your processes that can enable you to do that. You may be in a position today where suddenly, um, say if you're um, in, a, in a food business or uh, a med medical device type business or something that's really uh, stepping up in these times, you may need to then, um, you're dealing with influx of demand that you are, are not used to handling and it may be driving out uh, differences, gaps in your processes that you haven't haven't seen before, or maybe you've seen them and didn't think they were as impactful as now suddenly as your volume increases and your uh, your your expectations are higher and higher from your customers that you, you need to take a look at these things and get them fixed now. So processes always enable you a, a mix of um, some quick win improvements, things you can step in and do now just by getting people together and taking a look at what you do, as well as driving uh, strategic goals for the future and being able to align your organization around where you're trying to go. And again, I just want to and you tie it back to what I said earlier, this is that um, your processes are what connect your people to your, to your customers, to your end goals. And so to, to Cameron's question about how does this impact your future, it's, it's the business processes that are really at the, the ground floor of making, making things happen and the execution on what you believe is important and what your strategy is. Uh, your people are, are the key to that happening, but your people get work done through processes. So it's being able to, have a good understanding of and a, an ability to make those uh, shape those processes around what you're trying to do that's uh, critical to um, surviving uh, and um, go, stepping out above your competition to do what you need to do. Excellent and definitely as things can slow down for some other industries this might be the perfect time when they're having that remote workforce 
to bring people together and start focusing on these processes. It, it, uh, it's something that you can do and, and something that's necessary. Uh, and without knowing the timeline of how long we can, we're going to be on this, um, you know, slow, uh, moving, um, business trend for some industries, maybe we can, uh, companies can try to enhance those processes. Um, I would say, you know, with everything we've discussed today in business process management, um, do you have any additional thoughts, uh, comments that you'd like to add in general, um, final thoughts for people watching to key takeaways from this video? Yeah, I, I think another thing I'd like to uh, just drive home, and I've, I've only made kind of indirect reference to it here, but it is that your people are so uh, intermingled and, and directly connected to your processes that you can't think of processes as just sort of a, a mechanic technical exercise, you know, the, and as you're making changes to your processes, recognizing that these have an impact on your people, uh, their, the way they do work, and, and even, you know, people have an identity of what they are as a worker, and if you're making changes to processes, that is something that can, can drastically change uh, the way they view things and how, how they operate. So it's really important to, to make sure to continue to, to look at the people side of things. And as you're doing these processes, as, uh, as you're implementing improvements that you're looking at the impact to your people and undergoing organizational change management activities that are going to help you and help your people to adapt to any new realities that come about. And, you know, some of these things may seem small, but if people are used to a certain way of uh, communicating and interacting with their coworkers and that gets changed, and in some cases it may be, again, one we're seeing a lot today is remote work. Uh, someone may have turned to the person behind them to hand off a paper every day, and now they have to do it remotely. And it may be more efficient, easier, and more trackable to do it remotely, but you recognize there's a difference in the way people are connecting and, uh, and getting work done and, and the way they think about it. So you can't just assume just by saying this looks more efficient on paper that it's going to happen that way. You have to think about the people aspect of it if you want to make sure you're achieving your goals out of this. Thank you, Brian and, and Cameron. That was a great conversation. Good overview of process management. We're going to come back to that thread here in just a few minutes when we talk about how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. We'll go into a little bit more uh, additional detail there. We're also going to talk about how to build a digital transformation strategy roadmap next. So be sure to stick around for that. That's going to tie a bunch of these pieces together uh, to give us some guidance and a framework to create that actual roadmap. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com, as well as listening to and watching past episodes as well. So every episode we've ever produced of this show, you can find at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check it out there. We are going to shift gears a bit or continue 
shift gears, but within the thread of digital enterprise operations and our 2024 toolkit, we're going to talk about how to build a digital transformation strategy roadmap, which is a conversation between Adam Cheatham from Third Stage Consulting as managing director at our company, as well as myself. Uh, we're going to play you this clip uh, to really unpack how to create that digital transformation strategy and roadmap. So let's check it out here. Adam, you're a director within our company and you've worked with some wide variety of clients. And there's one in particular that we're going to talk about here today. Uh, there's a lot of themes that we want to touch on here as far as, uh, you know, a high growth company, a private equity owned company, company that's grown through acquisition. Uh, maybe to start off, maybe just tell us a little bit about the client and, and you know, give us an understanding of the size and scope and complexity of the, of the clients themselves. So this particular client had um, in the ballpark of uh, 3,500 employees, 4,200 or 42 locations rather across uh, North America. So an international spread that had, had grown by acquisition largely. Uh, they had uh, over a dozen different acquisitions that grew their company that led to just as many more brands to have to worry about with regard to product lines. All of those companies themselves had different ways of doing things and bringing them together under one model was, was really one of their challenges, particularly from a digital space perspective. So large company, um, somewhere between 500 million and a billion dollars with some aggressive growth goals. Uh, they were private equity owned that had some interesting wrinkles in it as well. We had, uh, we had a lot of fun with that project and I'm looking forward to telling you more about it. Great. So why did they reach out to us? What was the problem statement of what they were trying to solve when they first reached out to us and hired us to help them through the transformation? Yeah, they're, they're, all of their brands, as they acquired them, uh, were on different versions of different software. Um, some of them more mature than others. Um, one of them is mature as having, uh, being up on the most recent versions of um, SAP ECC6 just before um, HANA came out and then others on um, antiquated green screen technology, um, old Epicor platforms and stuff like that. And they were really looking to figure out how it is uh, they might roll out one software across all the companies. Right. Yeah, and really build on and leverage uh, some of the technology they had, but at the same time, look at ways to, to upgrade that and improve that over time. Um, so what in this first phase of work, and we're kind of honing in here on the, the first evaluation and call it the strategy and evaluation stage of the project, what, what was the scope uh, of what we did or what the client asked us to do for them? Yeah, the, so we started out by visiting a dozen of the locations to document their business processes. Um, you know, what they had asked us to do was find out the difference between what it is would be covered in a digital transformation and how they could solve things with technology. Um, just as much they wanted to be able to understand how they would solve uh, some of their problems with a little bit more synergy amongst the different divisions, locations, and brands. They also um, had some significant challenges with their organizational structure, you know, from location to location, um, titles were different names. Um, the structure, the reporting structure was different, um, even to the point where some had many more levels than, than other uh, locations and some were relatively flat and trying to figure out a way of, of handling that from a, not just a, a digital transformation perspective, but the, the work streams that come from the business processes and the organizational change to support those types of transformational change in the digital space. Right, right. So 
I, didn't, you, I think you just started to answer this question, but maybe maybe you can dive into a little bit more. But what are what are some of the challenges that they were trying to address by going through that evaluation? You mentioned processes. You mentioned organizational design or consistency. You know, between the different areas, were there certain overarching goals or objectives they were trying to accomplish with the transformation overall? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, you know, what they wanted to be able to do was manufacture um, and, and share manufacturing processes and share distribution models across uh, uh, their 42 locations. And they weren't able to do that uh, because their systems were different. Um, and what they, they were trying to figure out from a technological perspective, how that works, where you, know, you could manufacture um, some brands in some locations, but not others. And even to the point where if brand A could be manufactured in um, in six places, um, and, but it couldn't be distributed through uh, other models that brand B shared with brand A as far as manufacturing was concerned, it was, it was really kind of um, haphazard and pieced together uh, a little bit randomly almost, it seemed, other than the fact that you had a lot of silos that came in from that acquisition-based structure. So, what they brought us in to focus on was how can we use technology to also enable our business processes because I want to be able to manufacture um, a brand that is housed on the East Coast and my West Coast offices and facilities so that I can distribute that on the West Coast and be more localized in my structure rather than sending it across the country to uh, to accommodate, you know, some of the customers, customer base needs on that. And, you know, the software systems really hamstrung them on that because not only were they, uh, they were not only were they different, but they were pretty uh, rudimentary in the idea that they did they worked well locally, um, but to to have them communicate with other other locations was was really hard. And you had folks that were logging into several different green screen systems just to complete different orders across different locations. Hmm. So there's a organizational and, and operational consistency that they're striving for. Um, you talked about the organizational, you know, the organizational piece of it and just trying to tie that together. But then there's also the, uh, in addition to the distribution challenges they had with being siloed in that way, there's also the, the customer experience that they focused on too, right? As far as having these different brands that they had gone out and acquired, but they're still sort of in the marketplace perceived or, or operationally delivered as different, different entities or different, completely different brands or companies. Is that true? And if so, you know, how did, how did that materialize in the evaluation? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. So you have different brands that accommodate different parts of a, um, of a construction model, we'll call it. And so you have um, some brands that can handle Tem uh, specific pieces of, uh, of a build and some brands that can ha handle others. And if you want to sell to one, uh, sell all pieces of one build to one customer, they were unable to invoice that appropriately and they were unable to ship it in a way that where they can plan, can plan for it. And so when you had somebody like, you know, when you have somebody that's, um, you know, buying a couple parts here and there, you know, customer experience model isn't that big a deal. But when you have somebody like um, like a major construction firm who wants to build a lot of, uh, you know, wants to put together a lot of uh, a high number of builds and you want to be the contract on that, being able to say, I can cover all of those materials efficiently and effectively without having to send 10 different invoices 
for ten different parts of one build, it makes it difficult to, to show that that prospect that you can handle their needs. And then after that, it also makes it difficult to manage a customer experience that's streamlined to the point where um, that customer knows who they're dealing with, right? Like if, if, I, if my parent company is called one thing and I've got a dozen different um, uh, acquisitions all with different brands and then get a dozen different invoices, that, you know, there's a, a level of confusion that says, well, where did this company come from? I've got a contract with these guys. You know, why why am I getting something from, from some random different company? It's, it's a lot more difficult to set up and to get going. And uh, at some point, that customer experience becomes prohibitively um, difficult to, to work with to the point where the, they're likely to choose somebody else for business. Yeah, yeah. And were they... Were they also focused on on trying to be able to cross sell different products, or were these totally different yeah. product lines? Uh, Complementary products, substitute products, different levels of of, of uh, quality, right? Like if you want to do um, if you want to do different builds and you want to be able to to have some of them at a at a standard quality and some of them at a premium quality, uh, being able to handle those different levels of the of the uh, the order, it, it's just that just adds a level of complexity that they were dealing with that um, I oversimplified in my example, but you know, you start to think about the number of layers that go into that, you know, okay, well, if I get this set and that set, do they fit together? And um, if they do fit together, do I need some type of another piece to make it all go? Uh, and, and that, that cross selling opportunity to say, Hey, you know, I see you've got 10 widgets. We've also got these pieces that tie those 10 widgets in one, into one super widget. Uh, would you like to buy that? Uh, it's going to save you money um, later and construction materials and time and, and all that stuff. Being able to see that was impossible for them. We're here playing a clip with Adam Cheatham and myself talking about how to build a digital transformation strategy roadmap. We've got a lot more to cover on this thread as well as other topics, so be sure to stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. We're here talking with Adam and myself about how to build a digital transformation strategy roadmap. And Adam uh, Cheatham is our managing director here at Third Stage Consulting in the U.S. Uh, he's here in this clip with me talking about how to build a strategy and roadmap. So let's continue the the clip here. So Adam, before the the break, we were talking about um, just some of the nuances of this organization: the fact that they were high growth, they went out and acquired a bunch of companies. Um, 
and they were trying to create a common operating model and the way they handled distribution as well as uh, a common customer experience for people that were dealing with some of the different brands that they had acquired. One thing that was interesting about this client that I recall is they not only did they go through a bunch of acquisition, but it's a highly fragmented industry where a lot of mom and pops are kind of dominating the, the industry. And so they their strategy as a company was to get private equity money and go go out and acquire all these companies and really create some critical mass and scale that is pretty uncommon in this particular industry. Uh, what what kind of cultural nuances did that create as far as just having these mom and pops that were now suddenly part of this big, bigger organization? Uh, not not huge by any means, but to the average mom and pop, it probably felt a bit huge. So any nuances or, or things that we observed on the organizational change or cultural side of things there? Yeah, I'd say that um, the biggest thing is they got very good at getting very lean and knowing where to cut the fat. So when they um, when they would acquire new companies, that would be their first order of business. Let's come in and let's cut the fat. So um, that created a cultural co- uh, competition within the idea of a digital transformation and a standardization in that every piece of the organization was made as lean as it could be based on what was available. So when you start to try to mix and match, um, when you start to consolidate folks into one organization, there's a little bit of a of a um, almost an organizational tax that you pay for keeping everything tied together. And they were very lean at the local level. And what that did was it not only created a, um, an environment of, of, of heroes that would step in and do whatever it is they could to do their job, but also created kind of a sense of um, community uh, at the very localized level to say, we're all in this together. Um, it did create a little bit of a, a difficulty in trying to get them to speak to different um, different brands and different different locations because of that. It's very decentralized. And I'd say that um, one of the things that was really difficult for us is helping them align on, you know, if, if I need to talk to somebody about what it is they've learned and how it is they're doing this brand or that brand at the other location, who do I talk to? They all have different titles. They all call themselves different things. and. If I'm a, an, op, uh, an operations manager, do I talk to the production manager? Do I talk to the scheduling manager? Do I talk to, a, do, am I looking for a production scheduling manager? Uh, you know, you know who, who am I looking for? And trying to figure out what where those connections were at the, at the more network type of level was difficult for them. Um, and so we worked with them on identifying some of the, um, some of the mismatches and titles and stuff like that so that we could get to the point where those was a bit more standard people knew who to talk to and, and what that looked like because at the end of the day um you know their their structure was always get in cut the fat and make it lean and efficient um and that was a very uh, localized model for them and uh it's taking a cookie cutter approach uh didn't didn't wasn't wasn't useful for them so it made their processes and their organizations at all the levels um in all the the different offices fairly disparate Right. Yeah. That's, I can see how that could happen, especially when you're talking about, what was it, 13, 13 companies that they went out and acquired. You're probably going to have 13 different ways of operating, 13 cultures, 13 different customer experiences, and all the stuff you're going to have to sort of reconcile and validate. When you look at some of the, uh, the common challenges uh, of, of these sorts of projects, what were some of the specific challenges that, that this organization, not, not that this organization was facing pre us coming in, but during the evaluation, 
you know, what, what were some of the challenges that we uncovered? And, and uh, I know you've touched on some of this already, but what are some of the additional challenges that may have been uncovered during this evaluation? Yeah, I'd say that um, it's always easier to know that you're dealing with a company that's owned by private equity early rather than late. And we found out later in the game when they pulled in an, um, another CFO, um, what the level of involvement from their private equity firm was. Because a lot of times you know it up front, but you don't know what what this private equity firm wants to be involved in, what they don't, and what their model is, right? So some private equity firms want to buy something and, and hold it uh, for long enough to grow it and then resell it. Others want to come in and kind of do a fix and flip. Um, and, and there are a uh, hundred different strategies in between. And for this one, um, Know, without directly addressing the actual model that they were looking for, we had some challenges in understanding what it is that direction was going to become, um, and what that what the overall model here was. Is this uh, I'm, I want to own it for a little while and hold it, and do I want to come in and fix some things and sell it? Do I want to do something where I want to uh, turn it into a cash cow and keep it lean the way that it already is, and, um, and see what I can't squeeze out of it? There, there are so many different options. Um, I know that you know private equity firms do two things really well: buy things and sell things. Um, but there's a there's a period during during which you had to account for the holdings period, and um, understanding the impact of that and the and the trajectory of it um, up front would have been more helpful. Right. So when you compare this client or compared to other clients that maybe aren't private equity owned, are, are there any new or uh, not nuances, but any differences, material differences in the way uh, those those companies tend to operate and their expectations around their digital strategy and their overall transformation versus one that's not private equity owned? Or were there any common patterns you see with those P, those types of PE firms like this client? Yeah, I think that the, <clears throat> you know, the, the ones that aren't private equity owned, um, don't often have a, an exit strategy. And so their, their goal is, you know, let's say, for example, a family-owned business. That business is going to remain in the family forever. And so the goal here is to just own it and use it as as income. And that there's nothing wrong with that model. It's a very good one. We've got a lot of fantastic clients that are family-owned, and they are there to continue to be that way. Um, there are others that um, are private equity-owned that's uh, are there are a couple different styles in there. There's the private equity style, which is I want to come in and I want to be very high level and just make some quick decisions and, uh, that, uh, and get out. You know, we, we see that particularly with a lot of startup type of firms where they've got some investment funds. They look, I just want to get in here. I want to um, start a business. I want to get it funded. I want to slap in an ERP, do some process management and and get out my my thought about being in this for more than five years is that's terrifying to me there are others that want to get more meticulously involved at the at the more granular level and they want to start looking at all of the data and all of the the nuances so that they can tweak and tinker so, um and, and find out not just where the low-hanging fruit is but where some of the the more um the harder to find dollars are and, and get those out of it too and the um None of these approaches are wrong. Um, some of the companies that we work with are, are publicly owned. Um, you know, they're they're publicly traded, and 
the the ownership on that is, is different as well, and the approach there is also different. So it's just a matter of wanting to know what your strategy is um, is one of the things that I, I try to target early because where are you headed? How are we doing this? Uh, you know, uh, if you can help me understand what it is you want from your business, I can help figure out how it is you can transform to meet those needs. Right. Yeah. Makes makes total sense. Those the small little nuances can can make a big difference, and it certainly affects how we help the client through the the sort of evaluation and strategic planning phase. Um, so when we come to the the technology piece of it, then so they this is a organization that had, in addition to acquiring these other entities, these thirteen other companies, along with those acquisitions, in many cases came uh, some technologies that were already in place. As it relates to the evaluation we did and, and sort of where our recommendation landed on how to how to navigate the decision forward, whether to keep one one or more of the systems they already had or go out to the market and look for something entirely different. Where did we land on that? So maybe help us just walk us through the at a high level how we made that recommendation. Yeah, I think that um, you know the concept of taking the existing most advanced software and you know format painting it across the rest of the the, the company. Uh, we found was not going to be as effective as they thought. Um, the the quote unquote gold standard company had a lot of process challenges on their own, and they had a lot of process improvement opportunities they needed to lean into there. And they might think about um, one of our suggestions was that they might think about re-implementing that software for them before rolling it out to others. Um, that's a, a difficult thing for a company to hear that they're. Uh, they might need to do that over because they did it uh, and uh, created some inefficiencies, but it was a message that we had to share. Um, and then from a, a perspective of the less sophisticated locations, from a software perspective, uh, we had a, a number of very targeted organizational and, and process-oriented improvements that needed to be um, dug into and, and identified in a manner which was deliberate so that you can start creating more gold standards and you can start bringing people in. Um, the, the, the point that I'm trying to make here is that um, we, we suggested a, a phased approach in a, um, not just by work stream, but by location to say, all right, you've got, um, we'll, we'll speak to it regionally, we'll call it that. You've got, um, Let's say uh, the New England area is the area that is, uh, is the gold standard. They've got some things to do to get better, and, and let's let's do that, and then get the software up and running for them in a way that allows their process improvements to be copied and pasted across locations. And then you can start talking about Canada, and then you can start talking about maybe the Midwest or the Southwest and the areas that are a little bit smaller lift. So we can start bringing them onto this one software system. And then you start talking about the ones that are a little bit larger lift as far as process and organization and bringing them into the process, bringing them into the organizational model, and then giving them the software tool. And that's the, the approach that we had suggested for them. Right. Yeah, it makes, makes sense based on who they are and where, where they're headed. So just to wrap things up or to tie it all together, what, if you were to give a couple pieces of advice to someone who's maybe in a similar situation, maybe they're a multinational company, or maybe they're just multi-site, or they have diverse operations, complex operations, or they've acquired other companies, 
So call it a fairly complex or you know far from a vanilla type of organization. What sorts of advice would you give as they as those types of organizations are starting their transformation journey? Um, I would say first and foremost that having an outside eye on things that sees things from a perspective that isn't dug into the weeds and isn't biased by um, direct experience with one model or another um, and can see the whole breadth of things is, is an important point of view. Um, it's not the only point of view, uh, but it is something that, that is very helpful. So don't hesitate to reach out to somebody for help. Um, the, the next part that I would say is don't ignore your people. Um, when you start thinking about how you might standardize processes, your people will uh, will be impacted by that. Then some of them are going to have great ideas on how it is they can help with that. And they're going to want to be a part of it. I would say that involving them and engaging them is important. Um, others are going to need to understand what it is that change looks like and what it looks like and why you're taking somebody else's model and in their interpretation cramming it down their throat, um, and, and I would be aware of those, those scenarios. And the last thing is that technology should enable your business and the things that you're, you're, you're looking to achieve. Um, it's you know, to, to take a single technology and say, well, you know, lots of people have this technology. It works great for these guys. Um, just because it works great for those guys doesn't mean they're using it as effectively and efficiently um, as they can either. And once you put processes in a system, it's really hard to undo those. It's much easier to put processes in place uh, before the system comes and then use the system to reinforce those processes. Okay. Thank you, Adam. Great conversation. And uh, hopefully that gives our listeners a way to unpack and understand a digital transformation strategy roadmap in a bit more detail on how to build that strategy roadmap. Uh, we're going to shift gears and close out this Enterprise Operations Foundational Toolkit that we're going through here today by, after a quick break, talking about how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. So be sure to stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Transformation Ground Control episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberlinger with Tyler Cheatham. And we're going to close out our last segment here of the show by talking about how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. So this is a great conversation that gives you a bit of a framework for how to, how to map business processes during your digital transformation. And obviously that should be a key part of your digital strategy and your overall digital enterprise operations toolkit, which is why we're sharing it with you here today. So let's roll the clip here of how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. 
I'm here with Adam Cheatham, Director of Strategy and Transformation at Third Stage as well. Today, we're going to be cracking the code on business process management. Thanks for having me, Brian. Um, I think the first best place to start is going to be at the beginning. What in the world is business process management? Business process management can include uh, a number of different areas, but ultimately it's about making sure that you are identifying what's happening within your processes, what the areas of pain are, what are the opportunities for improvement. So it can involve uh, mapping what your current state is, identifying areas for improvement, and then mapping what those should look like in your future state. And how do I know what future state's supposed to be? How do I get to that? I, mean, I know what I do today, but... So this involves uh, a joint effort where you want to pull together members of your team uh, across different functions, uh, have them in a session led by an experienced facilitator such as those at Third Stage Consulting who can help uh, guide them towards uh, really laying out what those steps are and then being able to ask the questions around what are the ways that they, they can improve those processes and gear, gear them towards best practices that may exist in other organizations as well as uh, pulling out those ideas that may exist or just have to be asked in a way that those people can uh, come to on their own. Mm -hmm. And can I start with uh, best practices that exist in other organizations and just do that? That, that is one approach that can be taken towards it, but you, that's uh, one that comes with some risk. So identifying what the proper approach is really depends on knowing your organization and knowing what you need to look for. If you start with the best practices in other organizations, you could be leaving out those things that make you different and unique and uh, missing out on the competitive advantage of your own organization. So if you're going to go that route, it's got to be something you've got a strategic commitment to as an organization that you're looking to uh, maybe copy other organizations in certain processes. But you'll want to make sure you know what ones are most critical to you and you're uh, keeping those unique to what you need. And what if everything about my business is unique? You know, I'm, I'm different than everybody. You know, we do things our own way and we have a, a particular type of culture that means that my process is created the way that it is because it is unique. How do you guys approach that type of thing? So if, that, if that's really the case, then what we would do is we would uh, start from that point of work with understanding what you are and what makes you special and then uh, try to build upon that and work within uh, the people that you have on your team who have the expertise around those processes and what separates you from your competitors and to be able to work through how to uh, improve within the context of those uh, unique processes of yours. But I will say, you know, we work with a lot of organizations Everyone thinks they're unique. Everyone generally is in some areas, but there are a lot of ways in which uh, by talking to independent experts who have uh, worked across a number of different businesses, you may find areas of commonality that you didn't know were there. And, and how would you suggest that a business figures out what areas it is unique in that matter and which areas it is unique in that don't? It can often start with a strategic discussion with your leaders to understand really where you fit in, a, in the marketplace that you're in, what your competitors are doing, and what you've been hearing from your customers. The, the customer part is really a critical aspect of this, trying to understand um, what, when your customers seek you out, why are they doing it, why do they stay with you, and that really helps give good guidance as to what it is that, uh, that makes you special. And the things that uh, aren't noticeable to your customers, it's possible those are differentiators for you, but uh, it's more likely those are things that you uh, may have adapted over the years to the circumstance of your organization, but may have some potential to change. Okay, and from a, a perspective of business process management, it sounds like there's a bit of this that is that involves process changes. What's the you know how do I understand where to start with that, and what are some of the tools that you use to figure out where I am today as a business and what my processes could be in the future? 
So we'll want to start, we can, we can get an initiative like this up and going uh, pretty quickly by just first getting an overview of uh, what you do as an organization. And then we really get into workshops, pulling together these cross-functional teams uh, to work through those processes and uh, guided by the facilitation of someone who uh, has experience in this and, and knows how to kind of get to the point of what's critical of your processes to uh, work through uh, the mapping those out, documenting what that current state is by just asking steps, uh, what are the steps in the process, and uh, really facilitating out of people what are, what are the pain points and challenges that they uh, feel. That's how we really get to understanding and making recommendations on what the future state should look like. And how important is that process map? That can vary, you know, it, it depends on the organization. It, it is good to have a, a map of some level of detail that you have as a baseline to uh, follow and have a reference for people to track. Uh, certain organizations, certain processes may need to go a lot deeper into uh, the depth of what those steps are, what the, how we should map out that process. Other organizations may find that it's enough to have um, just this, this structure to be able to guide the conversation, have people on the same page by knowing uh, what steps are happening and, and who's doing them. And once I have this, process mapping, I've gone through this process mapping exercise, what kind of outcomes should I expect from this type of business process management activity? Uh, you're going to find a few potential ones that may come up. One of them is identifying opportunities for improvement uh, that uh, can just, they may just be ways to change the way you're doing business. It may be shifting the way you're communicating or the way certain teams are structured. Uh, it may be finding technology opportunities uh, that could be done with your existing technology or could be done with the new technologies you may be looking to implement. It might be that you're in the midst of a transformation initiative or in the early stages of it and that you have a technology direction that you're working towards and you find uh, that you're assessing that direction. You might validate that, yeah, you're on the right track or maybe that there are some shifts in how you need to think about it. Maybe one process that you thought was most critical is not actually as important as certain other processes and you need to rethink your focus on what, uh, how you're evaluating differentiating between technologies. Okay, and so now I, I go through this process management activity, I have a bunch of process maps and I have a new process that is, I'm going to suggest to my, uh, my colleagues that we're going to use. Um, what do I do when my colleague says, that doesn't work for me? So we're here with Adam Cheatham and Brian LaCruba from the Third Stage Consulting Team talking about how to conduct business process mapping during, during digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover on this topic, so we're going to continue the clip here when we come back from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high-growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 153. My name is Eric Kimberly here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And we're here playing a clip of Adam Cheatham and Brian LaCaruba from the Third Stage Consulting team 
talking about how to conduct business process mapping during digital transformation. Let's continue the clip. Part of this is something you can head off up front by getting the right engagement from people uh, in the first place. We find that if you uh, bring in the people who are doing the processes cross-functionally and uh, engage them in that, then you start to build some consensus from that. But that doesn't eliminate the problem of having some resistance from it at, at uh, levels, whether at the um, levels of people doing the work or at the management levels. So one of the ways you can uh, address that is through building a business case around that, being able to track some mm -hmm. data around how do you, what is this going to mean for your organization? How are you going to identify the specific benefits you'll achieve from this? Uh, be able to quantify them if they're quantifiable. In some cases, they may be areas you have to link them more to strategy and, and uh, growth opportunities and ways the business is looking to change over time, but being able to really tie it to what are the goals of the business. And you know the the idea behind the business case, you know, it's it's easy to see, you know, a lot of times how some changes can affect um, positive impacts upstream and downstream. Um, when we have types of folks that would be maybe necessi not necessarily bought into the positive side of the change, and more the resistance, uh, or, or a bit more resistant to that change for more personal reasons. Do you have any thoughts on how a company might approach that? Sure. This, this gets into the topic of organizational change management, which is tightly linked with process management. So change management, change management excuse me, is about helping your people to uh, adapt to the things that are going to be different in the future state you are trying to achieve. So there's a lot of tactics around that beyond uh, common ones people think of are communication and training, but it's also about analyzing what those impacts are. As you go through and define a future state process, you'll want to track to uh, what is that going to look like for people and really get ahead of how the changes in their job are going to impact uh, the way that they work and uh, start to deal with those up front and develop a plan for it from day one as opposed to waiting until the day you go live with changes and then finding people don't know how to do their jobs. This all sounds like quite a lot of work for what may turn out to be uh, minimal benefit and, and significant resistance. What is it in your experience that um, you know, I might be getting out of this type of an opportunity. Yeah, it, it depends for the organization to what kind of uh, effort you put into it. There are uh, organizations that have been uh, committed o over the years to extensive Six Sigma teams and organizations that will uh, really build out, um, you know, General Electric is an example of how, how they had uh, teams of people doing process mapping and data analysis over the years for this type of initiative. And for some companies that makes sense. For others, it's it's not the way to go. And you can you can do this with uh, uh, an amount of effort that's scaled to to what you need and be able to uh, do some workshops. You can get workshops knocked out in a week to be able to get an initial baseline of what you're trying to do and to be able to really set some direction on how you want to go forward with that initiative and uh, size it from there. If you find the benefits are going to be pretty extensive to uh, robust process control, you may end up uh, putting some more time and energy into that, that your business case will be able to show you will pay off. And in other cases, um, it, it may be more of a, a means to identify some opportunities and develop a strategy around those so you don't have to uh, make this a, an extensive organization-wide long-term long effort. And we talked a little bit about the technology side of enabling business process management. Why wouldn't I just buy a new technology and use that technology's processes to enforce changes? Are these things that I should be doing before I bring new technology in or, or should I wait until the new technology shows up and then change my processes? Doing it beforehand is definitely the way to go here. You need to make sure that these uh, your business is driving these changes. If you follow along with what the technology is doing without at least having put the thought into 
is this serving our business and what we need to be doing, you can end up uh, making things worse than what they were before. Uh, with any technology change, the technology alone, it's still being uh, operated on by people. People are still doing the work, and if that technology is not aligned with the way that uh, people are trying to uh, serve your customers, then uh, you're just going to end up uh, making things worse than what they were before, even if that technology is much more advanced than what you have today. So when we're talking about a technology change and, and changing business processes up front or, you know, after, or with technology, you know, we talk a lot about ERP and what that means to, to your business. Um, what's, what's the relationship between ERP and business process management and how do I make sure that I'm managing both those complicated conversations effectively? Sure. So business process management inherently is, does not have to have anything to do with ERP. It's a discipline that's a good thing to be as an organization, to be aware of and in control of your processes and to be managing those. Um, so definitely don't think this is something that is only tied to the technology. That said, uh, it takes on an even greater importance at the beginning of a major technology initiative because you end up raising the stakes of how you can get yourself into more trouble with technology if you are um, going ahead and, and not looking at your processes and letting them drive your business and trying to go down the path of having a technology change the way that you work. Well, and, and you know, speaking of things that can drive how your processes work, uh, you know, in today's current environment with, uh, you know, with COVID-19, um, what are some of your uh, tips that you can offer people for managing their processes through uh, a changing environment like that? Yes, well, what we've seen is that there have been changes uh, to processes that have been kind of enforced upon people in ways that they hadn't desired. Some things have been very paper-oriented processes that have moved towards uh, going online just because people were not in, in a location to be able to do that. So. Uh, the idea, uh, what we have seen a lot, is that um, you have this opportunity now, and we do look, obviously it's had a negative impact on a lot of businesses, others had a very positive impact, but in either case, it's an opportunity to take a look at changing scenarios, what things may look like for you in the future, and what they're, what they're looking like now, and having drawn out some things that may have looked like they were running better than they are, uh, and, and it's been exposed through the experience of more remote work or uh, disruptions to supply chain or things of that nature. So uh, the disruptions we've seen from COVID-19 are ones that uh, speak even more towards getting a handle on your processes and making them uh, robust enough and controlled enough to be able to uh, adapt when changes arise and not have to start from the beginning. So talk about adaptability and, and, and control over your business processes. And one thing that comes to mind is that you know, making one change one time, how do you reconcile the, the concept that I'm gonna, I want to do this one time and I want to change my business processes and I want to be done? Um, how do you reconcile that with the concept that you know, the environment will always be changing in which you do business and keeping up with that and keeping your business processes up to date? Yeah, the idea is that, that change is around you, it's going to happen. So it's whether you're letting it control you or whether you're being able to respond to it and uh, control how you're going to react. So by being on top of your processes, knowing what they are, continually reevaluating them, you're enabling yourself to be able to uh, respond to changes more quickly and to do them in a way that is uh, not completely reactive. And it's not to say you're gonna be ahead of every challenge. I think no matter any organization, even if they were well ahead of the curve on processes when COVID-19 struck, was doing some scrambling and hadn't prepared everything in the process for exactly that situation. I don't wanna pretend it's a, uh, it's a be all end all for that, but it is a way to be uh, more ahead of things and to be able to respond more quickly and nimbly. So there's a, a sense of this business process management that involves a bit of continuous improvement then? Absolutely, yes. Um, you 
having, uh, developing a discipline around this that you can maintain over the course of time and be able to, uh, and again, it scales differently for different organizations. So for some, it may be a very rigorous check-in, say every six months or so, and, and redoing the maps and uh, taking a look at processes again, and others it may be uh, managing some metrics that you're able to track to, and hopefully that you have a system that can help support that or uh, capabilities to track uh, various data points around your processes, or there, there are other ways to, to be able to be on top of that. But um, you need to find the way that's right for you to be able to stay on top of that. And that, that's where uh, we can help. We've, uh, at Third Stage, have been a part of many of these initiatives in uh, all kinds of different organizations and can help you to identify what's the right sizing for you to move forward. All right. Thank you, Brian and Adam. Great conversation related to business process mapping during digital transformation. And uh, that rounds out the, the really the six main segments we wanted to share with you today as it relates to our toolkit for digital enterprise operations in 2024. Um, so Kyler, tell us one last time, you know, where can we find some additional assets and additional content to help us uh, through our journey if we want to learn more about any of the stuff we talked about here today? Absolutely. Well, our 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report really encompasses a lot of what we talked about today, um, and that's available for free download um, on this QR code or in the description notes below. Um, it's our, our main asset in going into how do we help have unbiased and independent information around all facets of digital transformation. Um, so check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, we're always looking for feedback and comments. The second piece of that um, is our phase zero planning. And we found through our research and our work here at Third Stage that a lot of the failure points happen because of a lack of phase zero planning. And that's a lot of what the work we do with our clients here. So what we did is we put together a checklist to make sure all of the things that we see as potential issues or failure points within the project are in one place in which you can go. And we also have a mini series included in that where I walk you through step by step of what each step really means for your organization. Um, so again, popping that up here on uh, the QR code and available in the description and on our website as well. So I hope you like them. Definitely let me know what you think of them. I always love to hear from our audience, but what a great episode, kind of a, a great foundation and, and um, jumping off launch point of how to ensure that your operations are really healthy to bring in new technology to your organization. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great stuff. And uh, hopefully this is all giving you a place to start with that, both through our conversations here today in this episode, as well as the, the complimentary materials that we mentioned here. And you can check the links below in the description field as well for other content that's meant to help you uh, better understand digital transformation and strategy and all the stuff we talk about here today, uh, including, by the way, my new book called The Final Countdown, which you can learn more about at thefinalcountdown.com as well if you'd like to uh, get more of a book format and go deeper into digital strategy, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com, which is my first book, and you can uh, learn more about it and buy it there as well. So plenty of resources uh, to go around. So if you check the links in the description field below or scan the QR codes that Kyler mentioned as well. So uh, thank you for a great episode, Kyler, and thank you to the audience for great questions and look forward to next week's episode. As always, hope you all have a great week in the meantime, and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Take care.